Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? I feel like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. They're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. I was going to spend a night assembling the boys you, but this is holding my interest. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. This is episode 19, and since it's all about Rush, we'll call this one Pod by Night. My name is Todd, and with me as always is the man voted most likely to be found hoarding Papa John's garlic butter sauce and malt liquor during a global pandemic, because it was that kind of high school. The Kevin Nash to my Scott Hall. Say hello to the bad guy. I give you the man they call Tim. Hello, brother. How are you? Uh, doing well. And uh, t- for this episode, since uh, it's very well known, I know very little about Rush, if anything. Uh, we are actually bringing in, this is kind of a triple threat situation. We've got... It's not quite the Freebirds. It's kind of like the, the early 90s demolition, you know, where Axe is kind of hanging off to the side there. Oh, great. So this means you're trying to kick me out. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it ends. This is how it ends. I uh, see. 19 episodes. It was a good run. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I Honestly, I can't blame you. I, I totally understand that. Oh, stop now. So everyone, uh, everyone welcome Mike to the show. Uh, as I mentioned, Mike uh, and I went to college together. and Well, Tim and I went to college together, too. But uh, Mike and I were in the, the marching band together, know, have known each other very well. And uh, he is uh, probably, next to Tim, the Rush expert that I, I know. So, Mike, good to have you on the show, sir. Good day. Happy to good be here. Good day. Listen to this. I think he's got a top hat that he's wearing right now. <laughs> Well, I left out the, the, the A, which would be more appropriate for the Rush vernacular. There you go. Good, 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 good day A, right? Good, there, there you go. There you go. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I forgot, forgot that. All right. So uh, this is for anyone who out there who has ever wanted me to talk less during an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say right now, you have finally had your prayers answered. <laughs> This is gonna be this is gonna be the the Mike and Tim show, and I am just gonna sit here and uh, enjoy a beverage. But before we get to all any of that, uh, thank you very much for listening, downloading, and subscribing. And if you haven't done uh, the subscribing bit, we highly encourage it. You can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. You can also go to freerangeidiocy.com. That will take you right to our Podbean page, where you can see all of our episodes. You can download them, listen to them. Uh, it's a wonderful thing here on the interwebs. You can also follow us on social medias at, uh, we're at, on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, all of those, at Free Range Idiocy. And now we've come to the, well, this probably is the highlight of the show, which is sad since it's four and a half minutes in, and, well, we've peaked. So, uh, which just goes gentlemen. to show how highly Todd feels about Rush. Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh boy. Okay, I can see how this one's going to go. This is oh so boy. 
This isn't a triple threat. This is a this is a handicap match. I see how. Okay. I, I, right. I, I think so. Yes. <laughs> so, gentlemen, uh, the question of the night: uh, What you drinking? To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. All right. Uh, I am uh, sampling tonight from Metropolitan Brewing uh, Crankshaft Kolsch style beer. So, uh, you, Metropolitan. You love you some Kolsch, man. I, I, I do. From from Chicago, Illinois. It's it's local, baby. It's local. Illinois. All right. Well, Mike, what do you got over there, sir? So, I was just saying, I, I don't drink an awful lot anymore. Occasionally when we go out. But, uh, I but went, we've driven I went, him to it. <laughs> I went looking for something to have for this occasion. And uh, what I came upon was this Clown Shoes Space Cake Double IPA. I don't know where it's, where it's made, um, but it's pretty good. That's a really creative Boston, name. Uh, brewed and canned by Clown Shoes Beer, Boston, Mass, and Windsor, Vermont. So there you go. Nice, nice, nice northeast beer. There we go. There we go. That is that is a classy, classy name. I love it. It's got quite the uh, the label, too. It's got, like, a superhero on it. Very it's, cool. Uh, What's it called again? Clown Shoe? Clown Shoes. Clown Shoes. Okay. I'll have to wow. check that out. Nice. Well, and uh, as for me, I'm back on the Tin Cup. Uh, the uh, Tin Cup American Whiskey uh, from Colorado. And uh, it is, man, it is, it is just very nice and smooth. And as I said, the price is right for a whiskey of its quality. And so that I'll be enjoying that this evening. And well, I'll, I'll be, I'll be sipping on that quite a lot as I listen to you guys and, and listen to you guys educate me because I'm, I am looking, for, I am looking forward to this. Okay, I'm not, not taking the subject lightly. I am looking forward to, to an education in this. I'm all, I'm a curious boy, so uh, I'm I always some, up for learning uh, some stuff. Did I hear some ice clinking in the glass too? Uh, yes. Oh, you you sound very fancy, my friend. There you go. Well, uh, you know, I I try. <laughs> I fail miserably most of the time, but I try. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm actually gonna hand this right off now because uh, Tim is is running pretty much. Uh, Tim has the con for this episode. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out to you uh, to you, sir. Thank you, Captain. Engage. What's kind of funny about this, I, I think, Mike, it was back in the fall. We we kind of I, I forget exactly what happened on Facebook, but we kind of connected well uh, over something regarding Rush. I don't quite remember what it, it was. was but we got chatting for quite a bit. I, it I was, that. I believe, your episode one. I, I think your episode one or maybe two, but it was early on. Anyways, uh, I oh, heard that's right. Yeah. I heard you say something. Well, you know, I'm a really big Rush fan. And I was like, I didn't know that. And I, I Todd mentioned how. We sort of had the the crossing circles in college, but I knew yeah. you, uh, you know, yeah. not as well as Todd did certainly, but had yeah. no idea that you were into Rush. Uh, yeah. yeah, Todd certainly has known for a long time that I'm I'm one of those annoying Rush fans. Um, <laughs> so no, no, you are far from annoying, sir. You are you are passionate, and you got to respect that. I think so, but you know, some people are kind of funny about it. So anyway, yeah. So Tim and I sort of reconnected once I, I heard that, uh, like he said on Facebook in the fall. Uh, we had a, a, a short little fangirl session uh, yes. on on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> From which forth. episode 19 was born. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It only took like six months, but, you know, we got there. Well, we got to sign the contracts, work with the agents. You know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're, you're, you're just enjoying those delusions of grandeur, aren't you? I am. I'll, I'll wake up from that dream anytime soon, but... Uh, <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! Boy. But but I I think uh, I think I'm a bit of a late bloomer uh, compared to you, Mike. I, I pr- probably need to defer a bit the the mastery the, the the fan mastery title to you a bit. Um, 
But I thought the first thing we could kind of talk through, because I always find it really interesting when I talk to people who are fans of the band, like, how did you come to discover the band? When did you discover it? What, you know, what kind of helped, like, like what connected you to them and, and, and had your fandom grow from, from there? So, Sure. So it's funny you, you say that you're a late bloomer uh, compared to me. I, I consider myself to be a late bloomer compared to many um, because I frequent various groups uh, on Facebook and, and Reddit and stuff like that where you get the people who have been seeing them ever since 1974 uh, or, you know, earlier in their prior incarnations. Um, but for me, I, I was aware of them very young uh, when I would hear Fly By Night spinning on the on the vinyl uh, turntable when my brother would play it. And that was well past Fly By Night's release date. I think he got mm-hmm. into them around Power Windows. Okay. Um, okay. I believe that's right. But I remember him playing Fly By Night all the time and, and just how that vocal in that, that song really s- struck out to me, the chorus. Um, mm-hmm. So was aware of them then. Uh, and then kind of didn't really get into them for real until I was in seventh grade, I think ish uh mm. when my buddy also named tim got into them around the same time he was a drummer uh in the in the elementary school band middle school band and uh got into them and we started listening and it was around the presto era which i think off the top of my head i'm not looking at dates right now but i think was around 93 no no that would be uh, way too late that would be around uh 89 rather yeah um, presto was 89 yeah so we got into presto first we went to see the Presto tour, uh, sitting up on the, you know, balcony up high in the, the, I think it was actually the Worcester Centrum that we first went to. Um, Worcester. There might have been the might have been the Fleet Center, but I'm pretty sure it was Worcester wow. for that first That's one. That's awesome. Um, Hopefully you had a tetanus shot before. <laughs> right. You know, and I remember just being flabbergasted when you know the lasers started and and the yeah. Presto tour. I don't, I don't think you saw that one, Tim, but no, they had these no. giant bunnies that inflated out of giant top hats on the side of the stage. And during certain songs, there would be uh, stage hands in the back shaking the bunnies to make them dance. And it oh, was, it was <laughs> just absurd and awesome at the same time. That's um, funny. So got into Presto and then just started, uh, you know, getting into every album before and after uh, that, you know, as kind of as fast as we could. Um, you know, yeah. in, in those days, it was we didn't really have CDs yet, so we were you know, cassette tapes and, and records. Ah, um, and, old uh, school. I, I remember building a, a case to put my tapes in, which now is somewhere up in my parents' attic. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I've been been a fan of the group ever since then, and uh, nice. Missed a few tours uh, yep. in the last last you know last generation of the band, I guess the last uh, last decade of the band. Uh, yeah. But yeah. got back and saw the last one, thankfully. So. Nice. Oh, so you saw the R40 tour? I did, yes. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I missed that one, but nice. All right. Yeah, mine was, uh, you know, to, to, to of course, for me, as, as I've said to Todd and, and several others, my, my wife, you know, I, I think I was put on this earth to entertain to some degree. And so when I was in college, I think I was, uh, bi- uh, you know, kind of a bit of a musical misfit to, to some of my floor mates who I got to know. And so they kind of stage a, an intervention of sorts musically, which was to basically say, you know what, you, you need to get away from this Sammy Hagar Van Halen thing and kind of, you know, there's this band called Rush that's really cool. You might, you know, be interested in. They're trying to get me into things like Zeppelin and just, 
you know, just just sort of classic rock type stuff. And, and so that's you know, what I, we're doing for Todd tonight, right? Kind of, in a way. It's, it's, this it, is, it's, a, it's a Rush intervention. It's a Canadian intervention, which right. makes it the most polite of all interventions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Sorry to bother you, but... Uh. Eh? Eh? Um, you know, so, so they tried, and I did not like it, but, but I think there was definitely a maturity you know, issue with me going on at that time because it just didn't sink in for me. You know, it's like it just wasn't resonating. And it wasn't until, uh, and this is why, I, I mean, I, I really am the late bloomer here, but it wasn't until '09 when I saw the trailer for the documentary about them um, that I started to get interested. Like, I, I saw this trailer, I remember the band, I remember the music, um, you know, from, from those days when I was in Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, this, I, I need to check this out. And ironically, at the same time, I was kind of going through a phase, you know, not, not that I was, not that I've ever been playing you know, bass very, you know, uh, religiously, but I was playing, you know, every Sunday at my church and I was kind of feeling a little stagnated by the way I was playing. And so when I started to listen to some of their music, you know, when I watched the documentary, got really interested in their story and then started to, you know, listen. I mean, it was like from 09 through 0 through 2011 was like, I couldn't find enough different content about rush to, to to watch on youtube you know it's like it was just some new nugget i was finding that i just hadn't you know found yet and and just you know the way getty lee was playing was like if if i was playing in black and white he was playing with color you know what i mean and it was like i could kind of see oh my gosh there's a whole other world of bass playing that i'm not even aware of you know and so i i got really locked into that um their, their story was definitely the first thing that kind of pulled me in because I, I really I think that documentary one was done extraordinarily well just as a movie um, it was yeah. they they have an extremely compelling story about you know the way they came up how they got to where they were just the the stuff they've had to navigate through um, especially during you know the 2000s mm-hmm. and so so that just really that's what got me really interested I mean just to see like three guys who just seemed like normal guys you know they they didn't they've never seemed to carry themselves like these, you know, rock stars or, or, or like the way that they are, where, where they've sold all these records. They've had a tremendous amount of success. You, you just wouldn't see that in them if you bumped into them in the street, you know? Right. And so from 09 forward, and, and it were, and it also helped that I had a coworker who was a Rush fan. So he and I would talk a lot, you know, once I got into it. And so we actually went to, uh, what was it a- April of 2011, uh, the Time Machine tour? I saw that in Chicago, and then when they did Clockwork Angels in 2012, um, I-, I went to that. And to see them live was just incredible. I mean, I, you're you're just like like you're saying, you're so blown away by the musicianship um, of of these three guys, and so uh, so so that's where it was. You know, it's just it it was the inspiration of of Getty's bass playing that just got me. You know thinking about my own bass playing and, and, you know, kind of starting to experiment and do some different things there. And then also just as I, as I just poured through the volumes of songs they have, just all the incredible music they put together and just the musicianship. Um, you know, it, that's why I said maturity at, at college was because now I was listening to their music and I was paying attention to the details. Right. And I was paying attention to the minutia of what they would do to make the, the, the songs that they did just layered and complex and just sound just 
you know, the three guys could, you know, as, as Kurt Hammett from Metallica would say in, in the documentaries, like th- these three guys just produce a sound that does not sound like three guys, you know, it helps when they've got, they've got every limb and, and, uh, you know, all their fingers and, and toes at work as well. Yes. <laughs> I know. I mean, to, to, to watch Getty work the bass sing and work the foot pedals of the, of, of the synthesizer or, or, you know, just the playback, uh, tracks is just incredible to me now a quick break in would you say that uh who else would you say fits in that category of like rock pop music mu- uh, bands who sound bigger than what they are because uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is you two because they always strike me as having a bigger sound which i attribute to some of edges layering of effects mm. but also just kind of the 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 audacity of uh of edges vocals and, and lyrics as well mm-hmm. who uh, just if you had to pick like one or two for each of you who else would you put in that category of sounding bigger than what they the numbers in the band oh that's a good question i'm not sure if i can readily come up with one really i mean i, I think the other the other band that i was really kind of heavy into in in the old days uh was fish and i think that they've got some of that too i mean there's Another case where you've got, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, four guys in that band, if I recall. Um, it's been a yes. long time since I've looked into the uh, the detail of them. Um, but, yeah, I know when I went to see them, there was certainly a lot of sound. And, uh, you know, yeah. and they were just very, very busy on stage. Obviously, they're classic jam band, right? I mean, they yeah. they didn't really have a, a dull moment in their, in their shows. In a, in a very different way than Rush, I think. But, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's what I would have to throw out there. Cool. I was just I was just kind of curious because that was that would have as as unfamiliar with Rush as I am. That is one of the things that I probably would have pointed out. Like there was, I, I listening to that band. I'm like, that's seriously three guys. Yeah, that's it. A funny story about that actually. I was in uh, in high school. I was already a, a pretty established fan at that point, and we were in I believe it was chemistry class. Although it seems more appropriate for physics, we were looking at. You know, one of those meters that tracks sound waves and talking to friends and saying, oh, you know, I wonder what that would look like if we played this through that or that through that. And I mentioned Rush and they were like, oh, it's going to look really crazy. Uh, and we did it and it was super clean in spite of of all the all the sound that's there. It was interesting. Yeah. Would you guys put Zeppelin in that category? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I get I, I probably would, although I mean, when they played the blues, they played the blues strong. You know what I mean? Well, like it, it, I, it, it, there, there was some, some, some tone and volume there. So not volume, but thickness to the music. You know what I mean? Like, like they just, yeah. But I don't know that if, I would compare it the same way to what Rush does. If I had to say, I would say, I would say Zeppelin was more volume and just sheer brute force. Yeah. You know, Bonham, Bonham was a such a monster yeah. on drums and so good and 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 kind of gets a a bad knock just because he did hit so hard. And was so powerful, but he he had, man, some of the stuff he did will make you scratch your head. But I think a better example might be the Who, um, yeah. just because you had Pete Townsend doing Pete Townsend things, and then of course you have John Entwistle, you know, all over the place, oh, you know, geez. and kind of holding everything together. And then you have Keith Moon on lead drums, yeah, you know, or thinking he's on lead drums, yeah, and it, it really is like all these parts just kind of flying around and then Roger Daltrey's voice 
I, I would not say it's better than Robert Plant's because it, it's to me it's kind of apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. But for that band combined with those other players, it was just this enormous, you know, uh, uh, breadth of 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 sound. You yeah, know? I would agree. Yeah. But man, for three guys, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that you can top that with Rush. I really don't. I mean, the only, I mean, you think about the other trios in rock. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody can come close to that as far as musical complexity and everything else. Well, part of it too is that they bring a, a you know, when I say musicianship, it's there's there's a a technical nature to what they do that I don't know a lot of bands you know, pay, pay homage to, or, or, or put, put the investment into when, when they do their music, you know, there there's, and, and I'll get to this when we start talking about some of the songs that, 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 that I, I put on the list for, you know, top five, this or that, but it, it just amazes me. There, there's things that, that Pert, you know, had, had done that were, were just incredible for a drummer. There's things that Getty Lee will break out that are just, you know, that just add, layers and and texture to what's being played and and that's the thing that just kind of really spoke to me and and why i i really got into them was just that it it brought music to this sort of technical level that i i don't remember hearing in any other band which let's face it if i'm talking van halen you know <laughs> not that well, van halen's I, bad but you know what i mean like they, they just they were more of a direct band you know like they well, just had a direct sound to right. them and rush has a very different different approach to, to to when they produce sound well so if i'm if i'm right and just correct me if i'm wrong would you call that virtuosity sure yeah and because it, if you're going to go in that direction i could see why you would you would consider van halen like different than that because i mean van halen has a virtuoso guitar player i mean eddie van halen for whatever you want to say dang yeah yeah i mean but but michael anthony you know, it was always good, and and Alex Van Halen, of course. I mean, it's a it's a cloud of freaking symbols, but and and I think Mike would might maybe agree here. In Rush, you have three virtuoso. Players. Oh yeah, every single one of them. Yes, I mean there. Yep. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know, I and that's so I, rare. I, I I'm I'm sort of a, a failed musician at this point in my life, right? I, I mean, I was a music major for those years, and uh, I don't really play anymore. Unfortunately, I've never been able to get myself to really learn enough guitar or bass to be what I would consider competent on those, despite dabbling here and there. Yeah, find a church band, dude. You can play root notes and get along. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, I'll keep that in mind. Um, but, you know, I think in, in, Personal in spite of, of knowing that about myself, having listened to them for all these years, I certainly feel like, and, 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 and listening to what other virtuosos or other really established players in uh, in music today have said every single one of them has that aspect to them where, you know, you can walk away from listening just for a few minutes, even, and, and having learned something less Claypool frequently Mm -hmm. and, and things will actually, it was a recent, uh, thing. He was talking about wanting to do this, uh, a farewell to Kings tour that the, the Primus is going to do where they're going to play the entire farewell to Kings rush record in Primus' style. Oh, nice. And I think, I think it was in a, a conversation he was having with Getty Lee about that, where, you know, he was basically asking permission and, uh, oh, and he was referring to when Getty was writing his big, beautiful book of bass that he recently released, uh, that mm-hmm. Les said, yeah, I'll, I'll 
you can interview me for that if you come to my house, have dinner, and teach me how to play Tom Sawyer or YYZ. I can't remember, can't remember which song it was. <laughs> teach me how to play it for real. And and he did, and he said, you know, it never would have occurred to me to play it the way that it really is supposed to be played. You know, Les, is, he's out there, but I think he's he's pretty well known <laughs> as a great bass player as well. And, you know, that goes for yeah. every single one yeah. of the, the people in the band. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, drummers everywhere. Neil Peart passed away what, two months ago yesterday, I think. And, uh, mm. you know, people were even still, I think, are posting kind of frequently to to YouTube memorials and, and whatnot, talking about how how sad they are about the whole thing and how much they learned from listening to him. Uh, over the years and and the ones who were blessed to know him too yeah. it's a pretty crazy thing and certainly Alex Lifeson who of the three guys in the band is probably the most unsung i mean i think that you know you talk about rush people know first neil peart then they know getty lee and then there's the guitar player right um but alex is which is kind of funny it's a very it's a very like police sort of kind thing. of but if you listen to him he's he's right up there with them as far as his his style, number one, he's very recognizable. You can can hear, generally speaking, something that he has played, and you know it right away. I remember when uh, yeah. they first released a single from his solo album, and I hadn't really heard that it was coming out yet. And I was like, oh my god, that sounds like Alex Lifeson. And sure enough, it was. You know, He just has that sound that you can always identify mm-hmm. as his, and his chord structures and things like that. Mm. Um, I believe it was yeah. uh, one of the guitar players from dream theater talking about how his favorite chord in the world is what he refers to as the Alex Lifeson chord. Now I can't tell you what that is because as I said, I'm I'm a failed musician, (laughs) Uh, but I can tell you when I hear it, what, which one he's referring to. Yeah. But yeah, they're just unreal to listen to the, and, and so much to learn from them. So, so, so part of, uh, and, and I have a question to ask you, Mike, in just a second, but, but part of what we're going to do today is, is to some degree prepare Todd for a bit of a uh, starter uh, you know, list of things to, to, to check out. One thing to check out when you were just talking about Alex Lifeson was um, go on YouTube, look for Working Man Live from Cleveland and watch the solo or, or duet, if you will, that Lee and Lifeson go into instrumentally during that song, because like what you just said, Mike, watching Lifeson play was just, I mean, he's incredible in a lot of other songs, but that particular one was just ridiculous. I mean, both he and Lee were just ridiculous in that, in that song, but yeah, his playing is like you said, he's unsung. I mean, he's, he's there, you know, he's there, but as you and I were just talking, you know, we're, we're talking more about Getty and about Neil than we are about him. And, and, you know, he's, he, he provides this amazing playing that is, uh, is, is just unrivaled, you know, with, with some of the, some of the songs and some of the, 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 uh, licks that he plays. It's just For amazing. sure. And, th- and then there was a the whole time in the eighties when, uh, you know, they, they decided to try the eighties, you know, synth and new wave kind of inspired stuff. And, and the guitar really took a back, a backseat to, to the synthesizers for, for yeah. quite some time. I think until yeah. Alex finally said, you know, that's enough of that. I need to get back into this. Um, and, and yeah. you know, they reintroduced the guitars. I see the funny thing is, and I'm sorry to break in, but, no, it, but it sounds to me when you guys are describing him, 
it's how I've described the the guy who I played bass with in a couple of bands now, where he his role in the band, you know, bass player usually in a band is kind of a somewhat thankless job, and and you you're like I told him I'm like dude you're like wallpaper, you don't notice just how integral you are to everything until you really start paying attention to it. Yeah, you know he didn't do anything to draw attention to himself. He would just groove like a mother, and lock in with a drummer. And you didn't think about it. It just sounded great. And he was like, oh, thank you. I actually take that as a compliment. And it kind of sounds like, in a weird way, like, you know, Lifeson had kind of had that role in the band. Even though he is, you know, the guitar player, he kind of had that bass player role of he's kind of holding stuff together and and he has his thing. But it's not one of those things that it's definitely like the third place like you're talking about here i mean but i guess you always have to have that third place if you're talking about you know your favorites and whatever but well well in some ways it's kind of like am i right in that or am i kind of off i think you're right i I think that yeti lee has always been well known as a a melodic bass player and because of that i think alex has has taken a a different kind of a different place in the band I, i mean i think the way you described it was was perfect that you know, in in a sense, he was sort of the the rhythm guitar player. He was part of the backbone, a lot of the time. But when he did burst into the front with his solos and things like that, he was just amazing as well. I kind of look at the the drummer as being the timekeeper, and typically the bass player is laying that first level of foundation for the rest of the song. But I think what what happens when you have someone like Getty Lee playing, who is like you said, Mike, very melodic. I, I often look at him and Lifeson almost complimenting each other. Like Lifeson is playing the standard kind of guitar melody and you have Lee playing bass almost mimicking it at times or, or complimenting it. And and you have a different interaction there. So in some ways it's almost like Lifeson at times is laying the foundation with Lee, you know, kind of playing the driving bass on top of it. You know what I mean? Um, at, at least that's what I kind of hear when, when yep, I hear Sounds right songs. to me. Yeah, I think it also doesn't hurt that, you know, Getty's also the lead singer. I mean, that I think that probably cinches it along with his playing style. Yeah. If I, if I had to guess, just in my, again, in my extraordinarily limited <laughs> Rush experience. Well, I mean, it, yeah. it also just adds to the the amazement, really, in, in my opinion. Just, again, going back to how many different things that they all have to do at the same time on stage. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, when they're recording, it's one thing, right? You can overdub and, and whatever. But when they replicate that stuff live and... You know, I'm sure that there are certain bits here and there that are, are triggered by a, you know, a pad hidden among the drums. I know that they've done stuff like that in the past, but as far as the actual yeah. you know, girth of the music, that is is mostly done live, uh, if not all, you know, by them, by their hands, by their their feet, and and Getty singing. Yeah, I I but, just I just remember when I was at Clockwork Angels. I think they played Subdivisions as the was. It, was it that or was it Time Machine? I don't remember. But but one of the concerts I saw, the first song they did was Subdivisions. And, yeah, watching him sing, play the keyboards, and and play the bass as flawlessly as he does. I mean, I, I've tried on a couple of occasions trying to sing and play the bass. Not easy. <laughs> no. Not easy no. by a long shot. <laughs> no. As someone who, as, as soon as I started, I played, I sang, and then I tried adding bass into that. And immediately... Like within the first three attempts to get through a song, I was like, "Oh, instant respect, more respect for like Sting, Paul McCartney, and Getty Lee." Yeah. Like anyone who plays bass and sings lead, I'm like, "Oh, 
I get it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Why this doesn't happen all the time? Yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's it's tough, and and not and just that's like playing like simple bass, like I do. Yeah. <laughs> Forget what Getty Lee was doing. I'm like. My brain wants to explode when I try and figure out how he did the that. The guy from, uh, I forget yeah. his name, but the guy from, I think it was Level 42, was really fantastic at that, too. Another another bass player-singer yeah. combination, interestingly. Yeah. So the question I had real quick, Mike, was what what was it about the band? And, and I know we got to move on to the other topics we have, but um, but what was it about the band? What, like, when you got into it in seventh grade, was it the music? Was it the lyrics? Was it? you know, the, the, the technicality of it, I, you know, it's, it's hard in middle school to have that sort of thought process. Yeah. About I, music, I don't know. I, I, didn't know I, if that I, was I part think of at it. that point I was not in a, a spot where I was thinking about the technicality of it. I think it was probably more yeah. a combination of, of the other two of the lyrics and the music, you know, for yeah. me, and I'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to our, our top five lyrical songs that there's often just, it can even be a, a certain, you know, three word phrase or whatever. And the way that it, is interspersed with the music that just kills me. And I think it's awesome. And I think that there was a lot of that yeah. in play. I think the, the mm-hmm. album Presto again, which was my, my primary entry in spite of being aware of, of them back in the uh, earlier than that, that one still holds a special spot for me. And, you know, I, I don't think I can really put my finger on exactly why, but I think yeah. there were certain things about each of the songs on that, that I could really relate to. Um, just like mm. when, when roll the bones came out and, you know, a lot of it was about chance and, uh, you know, just kind of how mm-hmm. your life can take interesting turns with no particular exp- explanation, just, just again, by chance, um, you know, all those things sort of yeah. just resonated with me. And, you know, they often are described by fans like me as being the soundtrack to one's life and. I think that they they really fill yeah. that uh, that place for me. I, there's so many so yeah. many songs that just have certain meanings, or I associate with certain things and things like that. Well, and, and and that's one of the cool facets of the band is that you know consistently across all of these years as a band, you know, Pert's lyrics are just very deep. You know, I mean, not every song is that way, but but there there is and. An, maybe this is a good transition to start getting into like our top five lyrical songs, but, but, but the lyrics that he would write um, and, and just the way he, he kind of dug into certain themes of life of, of, of people, of things um, is, is just, it, it's consistent. It's not like there was a, a, a phase they went through where they had lyrically deep songs. I mean, every album in some way, shape or form has something of a nugget in there that you take out of it and you're just like, man, that's, you know, that's very thought provoking, you know, very, you know, it just kind of connects with you yeah. in a way. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, thankfully yeah. I, I can't at least yet relate to, I think I'm going bald. Um, that one, I am long past that myself. You know, <laughs> that one is the one that doesn't fit into the soundtrack of my life yet, but, uh, <laughs> maybe that's what it was very early on. I, uh, <laughs> now we found Tim's entry into this. All right. <laughs> We have identified the on-ramp. Well, maybe we should now transition from from how how did we get into them to to what do we uh, love and enjoy about them. So, um, actually, time out. Can I just can I just ask a question? Because I was totally unaware of this. Yes, sir. Was was Parrot the the lyricist? Yes. 
Like he was a primary lyricist yes. of the band, except yes. for the, the the first album and occasional songs here and there, which I think uh, I'm I'm fairly certain. I think I'm going bald since that one is the one we just talked about. That one I believe was Getty. I had no idea. I always thought I just always assumed. You know, I, I guess lead singer writes the songs. I had no idea he was the ly- main lyricist. Yeah, and and when they did huh. their last album, Clockwork Angels. I think that was one of my and another things from an earlier episode. It was. It wasn't that based on like a book that he wrote or yeah, something? Yeah, so he basically framed out the book and then he, and, and part of the plan was to build uh, an album around the story of the book. And so, yeah, so he wrote all of uh, the lyrics for those songs, which were meant to be these sort of subsets of the overall story that was being told. It, like in his mind, it was like a soundtrack to the book as if it were a movie. Right. And then he, he wrote remarkable. the book with uh, Kevin that. Anderson, who I think is pretty well known for uh, various sci-fi yeah, and yeah. fantasy books. I, I want to say he's contributed to a, a Dune series and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, and then after that, they came out Dang. with a uh, graphic novel form of it, I believe, I believe and, and a sequel. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yes. So they, yes, they, they, wrote, they wrote right. that one for a while, yeah. huh. even though it didn't really turn into another music album. Interesting. Yeah. So... So speaking of lyrics, uh, you know a band is deep when you have to break your top fives into lyrical songs and instrumental songs. So, uh, you know, it's it's not enough to say top five songs. Uh, you got to break it into both. So we'll start with the with the lyrical songs. And and Mike, uh, being the guest on the show, I I will uh, please you go first. And maybe what we do is run through the list, and then we can talk about. Uh, particulars of of each you know like why you know that the, the, these are kind of your okay sure so my my top five lyrical songs and i said to tim uh off offline that on any given day this list could look somewhat different um but i think uh yes. because i mean there's so much material to pull from but i think uh at the moment that i wrote them down at least my top five were hemispheres which referring to kind of the, the fur, full well, really the whole album, but the whole front side, at least, which was an epic. Um, uh, the song Countdown, uh, Red Sector A, A Fountain of Lamb Neff off Crest of, Steel's, uh, Crest of Steel, sorry, and After Image. And then my list, and then we can talk through them through each uh, after, is, uh, so I went with uh, 2112, um, Subdivisions, uh, Natural Science, Losing It, and The Garden. So I kind of... Uh, Kind of, I, quick I, question: yeah. who, who submitted their list first? Because usually the way this goes, Mike, is Tim is always better at getting this <laughs> stuff in, and then I get the scraps. So is that what happened? I to can't you as remember. Well? Actually, I, I want to say yes. I think that Tim got his down first, but at least for the lyrical songs, there was no overwhelming overlap. I think that my I, I was saying that I think that I, I though I never considered myself to be this person. Uh, I think mine largely came more from the earlier stuff, uh, whereas I, you know, I'll mm-hmm. say I, I love Rush from beginning to end, uh, all of it. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. But I guess the ones that resonated with me more were some of the earlier uh, earlier songs, whereas it looks yeah. like Tim, he's got a, a quite a mix, actually. But with The Garden in there, he went with at least one much newer. Yeah, yeah. Now, now before, before I, I just want to say... I, that sounded like a dig, but it actually was a compliment because what he does is he makes me work harder because then I, I actually have to go back and find stuff 
that I really like, like when we've done this with Battlestar Galactica episodes, I've had to go back and be like, all right, the, you know, okay, now what do I really like? And and it's made me discover new things about episodes that I hadn't, that wouldn't have been my first choice, but then I'm like, ooh, actually, wait a minute, I forgot about this. Yeah. So he, he actually makes me work harder, so I just want to make sure I get that in there and, and you know, maybe keep my damn job. Thanks, man. <laughs> Doesn't matter, you're still fired. New host, episode 20. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so Mike, um, what what about, uh, maybe we walk these one by one and, and kind of do a quick quick overview of them, but but uh, Hemispheres and Countdown, let's start with those two. Like, what, what about those two were? All right, well, were, I guess I'll preface three? by saying that I'm a real sucker for story songs, songs that, that are really descriptive about telling some kind of a story and hemisphere is coupled with its yeah. prequel uh which was cygnus x1 uh really mm-hmm. just yep. tell a kind of an interesting story sometimes a little hard to follow i suppose but you know kind of about the birth of, of cygnus the god of balance yet there's this uh you know spaceship battle at the same time and uh it's mm-hmm. just always struck me as really interesting yet out there story and the music that backs it up is just awesome um so that one has always been pretty much my number one favorite i think been really into that for a long time well and 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 that one was so cool because it was yeah it was like this war between the mind and the heart and 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 the music kind of reflected that um as they i mean they, they were just so artistic about this when they did it that that was a song I I really for a while during that time period where I was discovering their music. Um, that was when I listened to a lot because it was just so uh, mm-hmm. so different and and like you said to, to listen to Cygnus X One and then lead into that, which was really across right. two different albums, um, was just such a neat. I, I mean, I don't mean to call it a gimmick, but but it was such a neat neat uh, effect that they did to tell the story that way across those two have them be their own standalone songs, um, but have this great story. Yeah, absolutely. I have never really heard any interviews with them about that fact that, that you know, where they led from one album, uh, the end of it into the next, you know, if they really had planned that or if it sort of came about as they started to write hemispheres, it may have actually been a situation where they kind of wrote both at the same time. Cause I know at yeah, the beginning, yeah. those first several years there, they were, getting stuff out pretty rapidly. Um, I want to say it was uh, Fly By Night and Crest of Steel were both within 1975, I think, uh, you know, kind of both within the same year yeah. um, in, in spite of. They actually were February. Right. So they were touring and, and got it recorded and everything all in that time. And then, uh, you know, those follow up records, I think same, same kind of deal. I think they were writing them kind of concurrently. Maybe they ran out of, room for you know what they could fit yeah. on a tape or a record uh and had to split it into a separate album yep. but yeah the way that they they did that was really interesting and uh and just the story that they they told and the music that backed it up always really struck me and 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 i love the end i i was trying to listen to all of these songs before we did this i i didn't get to hemispheres but i there's i do remember there's something about the ending to the song oh uh because it's it's just an acoustic guitar i yep. think at the end um, kind of strumming out and Getty's just kind of singing this this melody over it, you know, kind of summarizing the events, you know, of, 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 of the story they were telling. Really just, you know, again, you talk about the texture of, of the music and how it plays to 
the story and the mood they're trying to tell. And, it, and I just remember hearing that. I'm like, what? I mean, it was really kind of a, a beautiful ending to a song, you know, just just hearing him sing and just having it be the acoustic guitar was was just such a neat well, especially way to where that one. you know, kind of in in the the classical vein, right? It it was a single song technically, but it had all these different parts with very different feels to each individual one. Uh, and like you said, that that acoustic yeah. section yep. at the end was fantastic, but there were lots of that song that were really heavy rock as well, um, and. Oh yeah, you know it was oh, yeah. just a it was a trip. The whole thing, beginning to end, was a trip. Yeah, and then countdown. What what was so what again? Uh... Kind of same thing. It's a, a very very vivid uh, story song in that you know they're describing the events of of watching uh, one of the first shuttle launches. They they were invited to go see uh, a shuttle launch back in the day and um, kind of just wrote out what it was like to be there and witness that and and the sort of metaphorical descriptions that they use to describe things, the, the, the shuttle being a sleeping white dragon before it launched and, and things like that mm-hmm. just always really struck me as uh, being so descriptive and, mm-hmm. and interesting. Uh, and then culminating from, from being, you know, like you would expect a rocket launch to be kind of quiet at the beginning with the launch at the end and the energy of the song really picks up and it's uh, it's a journey. That whole song is a journey. Yeah, and, and and that was definitely one of those cases where where the music backed the effect of the story they were telling. Like it, it was very much structured like a countdown. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it just had that feel to it and that that tone and that mood to it, which was, you know, which which is something they they do across a lot of their songs. I mean, a few of the ones I I picked are going to be. You'll probably hear me say that too because it's 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 just neat how they take the the lyrics and the story they're trying to tell and they emphasize it and amplify it through the music you know kind of back you know backing the feel of of what they're trying to describe verbally the next one on my list was uh was red sector a uh and for those that's a great one for those listeners who aren't aware red sector a was uh written about uh basically getty lee's parents um in in the the nazi uh camps uh in in world war ii yeah and Again, very descriptive about the things that they had had witnessed and, and lived through in that. Um, and that one lands on my list. You know, obviously, I don't have any at my age. I wasn't around for those those days, apart from history classes being you know taught about it and everything, uh, and just the terrible time of, of history that that was. But being in D.C. and walking into the um, Holocaust Museum mm. and kind of seeing the things there and then having that in the back of my mind the whole time was uh, very striking for me and and again it's just such a descriptive song it really yeah. puts you puts you right into the the place and and that's one of those songs too again where the music brings out the desperation yeah you know like like there, there there's a desperation in the song clearly because of what it's describing and and they, they just do such an amazing job of having the music just amplify that and bring life to it. Yeah. It's just really, really just fantastic. Absolutely. And now you're going to hear my dog in the background. Um, <laughs> he's got opinions too, damn it. He, he does, and he's letting all the neighbors know about it. Unfortunately, he likes Nickelback. Right, yes. Uh, so then I've moved on to A Fountain of Limneth, which is a song on, on Crest of Steel, actually I think is primarily, primarily the first first side of the of the record, if we're talking vinyl or tape. And that one is one of a, 
the sort of sillier ones for me to choose because what it comes down to, and I alluded to this earlier, is just one short phrase that the way that it lines up with the music, I've just always loved the way that it, it sounded. And it the, the lyric is, draw another goblet from the cask of 43. And the music that goes along with that, that bit uh, just has always made me feel good. Something about it, I, I don't know. I can't even really describe it. But um, for me to base a whole top five lyrical category on, on you know six words or whatever it is, is probably ridiculous, but I've always loved it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because when I saw you put that down, and, and I think this kind of goes to my being a younger Rush fan than, than you, I, I have always struggled to get through Caress of Steel. <laughs> it has been a tough album for me to get into. I, I think I listened to the Necromancer at work and, you know, I was kind of focused on work at the time, so I still forget parts of it. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. Fountain Live Lemneth, I that's one I'm gonna have to re-listen to because it's it's been it's it, it's it's an interesting album to try to work through. There are two types of people in this world. There are people who like who love Aggressive Steel that consider it to be kind of the best of the best, and those yeah. that, that don't. And I I am one of the former. I think, um, yeah. you know, like I said, I think Hemispheres is my my top. Aggressive uh, Steel is is my second. And yeah. You know, largely it comes down to that that one yep. bit uh but really i love the whole record it's just great yes. i celebrate the guy's entire catalog so yeah i would definitely give that another listen if i were you yeah and then my last choice was after image and that one i'm not sure that would have been my choice before two months ago but with neil peart passing that one became a lot more uh apropos i suppose um because the the whole gist of the the song is suddenly you were gone from all the lives you left to mark upon and that's exactly what he did you know, with all of yeah. his lyrics uh, all the songs that the the band as a whole put out being a soundtrack to so many people's lives it's really uh, an appropriate song to to kind of remember him with and I think a yeah. lot of the, a lot of the memes that have come out since then about his passing have quoted that and I think it it makes sense. Yeah. It, and and it's funny that you pick that one for that context because in in a lot of ways that's why I picked the garden as well. Mm-hmm. Um which which I'll 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 get into as I go through my list, but nice. Yeah, that that's that's a solid list. I mean, you know, hemispheres I mean all all of those countdown red sector A and after image fountain Lam, of of Lamneth um yeah, those those I could get down with. I got to listen to Fountain of Lamneth again <laughs> a few more times to make sure I can get get into it there. But uh, but no, those th- those are fantastic. Todd, are you the only one? With, I'm not. I'm not the only one with homework. Uh, no, you are not. And wh- are are you like reorganizing in your office or something, man? What what are you doing over there? <laughs> no, I I am actually, <laughs> dude. I I am a fan of anybody who is passionate about stuff. And listening to you guys, it is it is. It is very interesting to listen to two people. Yeah. Because I'm usually in the conversation when, when I, because I love to talk about stuff that I'm passionate about. And that's why we, we get on this thing and, <laughs> and talk about stuff. It's interesting to be on the outside of that conversation and listen to two people who are very passionate about stuff. Yeah. Without having really a dog in the fight and just listen to that, mm-hmm. that back and forth. And and also just the the things that are like oh yeah this part this thing here is is what I love and yeah 
man, it's 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 great because that is what, man, it's what we're missing in this world. Yeah. Can I can I just say that without getting too deep and philosophical or or whatever? Mm-hmm. That is what we need more in this world is more of like, hey, here's what I think is really cool, and you know, you don't have to love it. Yeah. But here's why I think you might love it. Yeah. And if you don't, cool. But you know, this is why I love this thing. Yeah. And and here's why. And I think that is is so pure and wonderful and that's one of those things about human beings that we are missing yeah is that we don't do that enough we we love to like and we do it here we we like we we pile on stuff because we're trying to be funny and i hope that people get that we're trying to be funny you know but it, it it's great listening to you guys talk about this and, it, and honestly i am i am looking forward to my starters list and i'm looking forward to my homework i i actually am because hearing you guys talk about how how much you love this band and, and the the reverence and the and the and the respect you have for all the aspects of what they do. Uh, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I will give it a shot. We're, we're, I'm already in. We're convincing him, Mike. We're convincing him. Well, that's a start. And it, there's a couple of things that you said, Todd, that we can pull from too. So you mentioned the word dogfight. Now there's there's some references there that we can can pull out. There's Bytor and the Snow Dog off of Flatland, ah, yes. which is a an amazing song. Uh, and, and one of those that I think people most identify with, uh, with fly by night. So that's mm-hmm. a great song. We can add that to your list. And Ooh, then, there uh, we go. Good. uh, there's also dog ears, which we'll talk about a little bit later on too. And that's from one Dude, of the newer songs. Tim, he's, he's like you are with, with like pay-per-views. He, he's, he's gonna, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge. of this. Oh, oh, I believe me. <laughs> I, I am picking up on it. The, the, this is why I'm going to defer the, the rush master crown to him because I think he is, he is, uh, ahead of me, uh, uh by, by decades on, on this stuff. So, well, there are um, people who, the- there are people who are not on this, uh, podcast who i'm sure would take the crown from me very readily so (laughs) well so the funny part is and we mentioned this before we started the show and it is it is kind of amazing that it is taking this long and it's taking this point of 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 you know this wonderful intervention that you both have staged i and i appreciate it uh i i know i have issues and i'm working on them sorry uh but the i've i've known mike now for i mean what it's well, 90, 94, to, right? So, yeah, I don't. I can't do math. That's a long damn time. That's all I'm coming up with. Twenty five years. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And 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 then you been. I mean, you and you were a Rush fan then. And then I worked for your brother, who was who was the guy who got you into Rush. And I remember vividly he would play Fly by Night uh, while we were while I was while we were at his at at, at his business working. And, and I guarantee and, he sang it too. Oh, I'm sure. And the thing is, like, he, oh, your brother kind of pisses me off. Can I just say this, like, <laughs> and, and pisses me off in, in like the musical way that we talked about last episode. Like, his voice makes me angry because he can go way up high, and then he can also sing kind of low with, and he can do both with power. And I'm like, son of a mother, I wish I could do that. <laughs> But man, it, it doesn't doubt me that he could sing that stuff. Like he, his, he has an incredible voice. Yeah. And and so yeah, the the whole it's amazing that it's taken this long for me with this type of. And then of course Tim. I mean, it's 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 amazing that it's taken this long for me to get this kind of exposure to Rush and to be pushed to this point. But again, well, I'm and, thankful for my intervention. Yeah. Thank you. No, Thank no, you. you're 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 welcome. But but you know, seriously, like for for me getting into it, there was a certain mindset in place I needed to be in for it to connect. 
you know it, it and it's not that it's that's not an indictment of the music or, or their artistry. It's it's more of an indictment of like, like really no, it's an indictment of me and my maturity. Seriously, like like not that there's anything wrong with Van Halen, but for whatever reason in college, I just didn't have the sensibility that I had in 2010 to really dig in. And and, and I can't find the right words to describe it, but you do not understand how how rabid I was from like the time I saw that documentary to like, you know, probably through 2012 where I'm on YouTube and I'm listening to stuff at work and I'm finding new stuff and I'm finding more new stuff and more new stuff, probably not new to Mike, new to me, but, but it was just so neat to explore and discover and find all of this incredible music that they put together and, and the way that they would play and just how that started influencing me you know, again, not that I play that regularly, not that I have a band that I'm touring with or anything, but just me as a as a person who wants to kind of keep up with being a bass player, how I can explore that instrument more. You know, like having Getty Lee be kind of the gateway of sorts, you know, to kind of opening my eyes to some things was just mm-hmm. really cool. Just really cool. Well, I, I think that where you mentioned that you were very rabid upon sort of realizing and, and getting into it, I think that that's kind of a term that can generally be used to describe most rush fans most people who are really really you know would consider themselves to be rush fans they tend to have that that rabidness about them when it comes to this band to the point where i mean frankly it gets awkward um because (laughs) you know you start going off like i have a tendency to. that's every episode of this podcast is (laughs) awkward welcome home welcome home oh boy i mean I've seen lots of eye rolls in in my time when I've started talking, uh, you know, about about them and, and people who are aware but don't get it. They, yeah, you know, and I'm I'm sure Tim has started to see that as well. And oh yeah. The goal yeah. here is to get Todd seeing that that eye roll too. So that's right. The day that the day that that you start talking about Rush Todd and Kim rolls her eyes at you, we're gonna know that you've you've arrived. Hallelujah, oh, dude. Kim. <laughs> Kim rolls her eyes at me all the time. It wouldn't make any difference. Like that's just the way it works. When I told her I was going to go record this podcast, she was like, "Oh boy, here we go." <laughs> you know. But the funny, the funny thing is, I think that I think that that thing of being receptive to a certain thing or being ready for a certain thing, yeah. I think it's a lot quicker than we think. Yeah, I think that cycles a lot quicker, and it's just the it's just the chance that something strikes us. At the right time. Yes. And I don't think it's like, oh, well, it, you know, it took me 10 years. It was just, it didn't come back around. But I mean, like every five, six months, you might have been receptive to it. It just never timed out right. Yeah. You know, I just, I think I I don't want to attach it to like maturity necessarily, anything like that, because I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's it. I think it's just, you, you just have to have to. You have to have that moment. This this is, this is, I think it comes around a little bit. This is just Todd trying to insist that he's, he's mature. And really, that's what far from it. Far from it. I'm not mature. (laughs) I'm not going to even try and insist on that. No, Uh, sir. That is is not the case. So not what not 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 to follow a tangent uh, too far again, although I know that's kind of what happens here. Um, (laughs) It's it's what the brand is based on, baby. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I think that what we've seen in the last. 10 years or so 10 or 15 years anyways um has been sort of the uh rush arriving to that place where p 
people are ready for it generally more generally than they than they used to be and yeah. you know we've seen with uh i love you man coming out i don't even know what the the year was for that todd can look it up probably um i got you uh with with that coming out and you know that was kind of the the movie that all of us rush fans were like oh yeah they they get it you know this is really about us because yeah. that eye roll that i mentioned is is very present in that movie <clears throat> to these two guys but then we've seen lots of other pop culture references kind of around that time and since then uh i guess predating that actually was uh freaks and geeks which um I'm drawing a blank on his name now. The, the the star of "I Love You, Man" uh, was on that show, and he was a big Rush fan in that as well. So we've kind of seen yeah. pop culture come around to the point where they're ready to to talk about Rush and, and what they bring to the table for for those of us who who currently know and trying to bring more of more people into the the fold. Yeah, "I Love You, Man" was two thousand nine, and are you talking? You're not talking about Paul Rudd, are you? No, the other one. Was it Jason Segal? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, All Paul right. Rudd, I think, is a pretty significant fan in his own right. And I think that's how he ended up in that movie as well. But yep. Jason Segel was in, in Freaks and Geeks. Uh, you oh, was it Segel? Yeah. Okay. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Um, I've been connecting him with Steven Segal. Sorry. I, 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 I apologize to yeah, Jason I don't know if, Segel. If you, not, if, not Steven Segal at all. <laughs> if you've never seen that show, it only had one season – uh, it was very clearly a, a Canadian written show, had a lot of uh, faces that you would see from like Canadian comedy in the past and actually some other Rush connections. The uh, the guy that played the main character's dad in that show way back in the day when Rush put out Signals and was touring for I think it was Signals and they had the song The Weapon. Um, they had a video with this guy playing his character from uh SCTV from Canada, Count oh Floyd. Oh my gosh! Uh, and SCTV. You know, I haven't heard that one in a long time. Yeah. So he had this character where he was basically a kind of a, a Dracula kind of a character, and and he introduced the song on their live show, and they, they played that for years. I think even up to to presto, uh, and maybe beyond. I can't remember. But that's awesome. Nice. So Freaks and Geeks is a, a great great watch, and definitely a lot of references in it. That, would help bring people into the fold as well. Yeah. Nice. How was that for a tangent? That was, hey, you know, that was, that was expertly done, sir. Uh, well, absolutely. not expertly because I couldn't remember the guy's name, but <laughs> well, that's all right. You're going to do well when you fill in, when you replace me next week, when, when Tim fires my ass and you're the new host. We're still working with the agents right now. So, all right. Yeah. You're negotiating. It's, it's all right, <laughs> but you know, I'm at peace. <laughs> All right, so moving on to my list. Um, so my first. Oh, wait a minute. So this is this is a new whole section here, sir, isn't it? No, is, no, no. We're or, we're still in lyrical songs, my friend. Okay. All right. I'm just checking because this I, this I, definitely has track. this definitely has a BSG deep geek feel to it, my friend. So we're yeah. we're we're we're, tra- we're we're traversing into that zone. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, so twenty 21- one digital tape is cheap. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Hey, if we're able to do it, it's definitely cheap. Um, so 2112 was my first choice. Um, to, to me, this was kind of the, the I, I mean, I won't call this their, their best song, but it was, it was definitely a masterpiece when I first heard it. It was just such, uh, such an incredible song. Um, 
not only from from the story perspective, you know, like like you were talking about with Hemispheres, I think that's a similarity between our first two choices with Hemispheres and Twenty One Twelve. Is there there's that story behind it um, that, that sure. fuels the song, and um, I just really loved, you know, the the, the different phases of the music. Um, I really love the part where the, the the main character, if you will, of the story is tuning the guitar. I mean, I, I'm envisioning Lifeson actively playing you know these wrong chords to kind of simulate the idea of tuning this this new instrument this character has found and and just that whole mental picture they create through through the song is just uh just incredible and then um and and just from the beginning just the bombastic beginning of it uh with the drums and and all of it the bass the guitar i mean they're just all just bringing it you know from the from the start of the song and then all the way through to the end with with you know, this is a story about, you know, the individual against the masses and, and, you know, just the ending where the return of the original civilization happens and just, you know, this, this, this fantastic ending with the drums and the guitars and the bass going is just, it's just rush, you know, I mean, it's just that that is what makes them who they are, you know, it's, it's three, three guys just playing just with unbelievable energy, emotion and, and fire and, uh, so, so that that's why that was my, my my first pick. Yeah, I think that's a great first pick, and I think that it really number one, it's one of the ones that a lot of the the practicing famous musicians that are out there now that are you know talking on the on the documentary you mentioned and and things like that that you know they most of them are like oh when I was ten years old and I heard twenty one twelve it was all over for me um, you, know, you hear that yeah. a lot Dave Grohl will say that. Uh, yep. you know, every day if he's allowed to. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one also similar to hemispheres has the, the uh, sort of or- orchestral cla- or not orchestral so much, but classical nature where it's got the several movements and mm-hmm. really is mm-hmm. very, uh, very dynamic from, like you said, from beginning to end. Um, yeah. It's really amazing. And also worth noting is that that song and that, that whole record really was the, the middle finger to the record industry where, yeah. you know, after Crest of Steel flopped, they were basically told, you're not going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. but you've got this last one under your contract we're going to pay for, so go ahead, and came out with 2112, and it was huge. Yeah, um, yeah. And and ever since then, they've been allowed to do pretty much their own thing. So, yeah, I think it's a great pick. It's it's it, it, it's an incredible story. I mean, you, you just, you wouldn't see that happen in, in today's music industry, and and just given the control corporations have over this stuff, you just wouldn't see that anymore. So, so it was, it, it was very, uh, definitely a unique time they came up in and just, it's, it, it's neat that their, their story kind of took that turn that, that this was their, their final stand in a way. And it, and it, and it earned them their, their freedom and their ability to, to make the music they wanted to make. Yeah. And interestingly um, worth, worth noting is the, though I think it was sort of accidental. I'm not sure that Neil Peart, as he was writing the lyrics and the story for that, really realized um that it was loosely based based on anthem by Ayn rand um which also kind of speaks to the history of the band as a whole and kind of their their general ideals um i think that they came from a point where they were you know teenagers and 20 something years old um kind of with a little bit of a randian perspective on the world uh to the point where now I think they all would consider themselves openly more 
more left of center, certainly, if not pretty yeah. far left of center, really. Um, yeah. You know, Neil Peart wrote about, you know, this is after his, his retirement, really, I think, uh, when he released his last book um, about a, a homeless man who lived near his, or, you know, lived on the street near his office that he had opened up in California and how he would mm. often go out and buy him stuff and drop it by. And I think that's not really a position that they would necessarily would have taken in society back in the day, but you know, they're, yeah. now they're doing a lot of uh, charity work and, and things like that. Um, yep. So really they've, they've changed their, their position on things a lot. Yep. So yeah, so that was my first one. Um, subdivisions uh, was, was one that, you know, again, um, Pert's lyrics are just, you know, just cut to the bone on certain things. And, you know, when, when I first heard this song, I mean, you, you know, growing up in New Hampshire, it, it wasn't exactly suburbia, you know what I mean? So it's not like I could connect with that, but being out now living in the Chicago suburbs, you know, I listened to their song and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what it's like out here. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, you know, even, even 30 years later, it's just like very apropos, very, very much right on point. And, and just that, that whole kind of teenage angst, you know, phase in high school, especially if, if you're one who was not readily, you know, kind of running with whatever, you know, the cool crowd or whatever you want to call it. I mean, just, just an, an incredible song that just captures that, that emotion in the music, um, as well as in the lyrics. Uh, so I, I just, that's just one of those songs that just, just resonated with me, um, you know, just listening to it and, and just listening to how deep you know, Pert's lyrics can go, you know, in terms of, of describing life, you know, um, was, was just such, you know, just really resonated with me. Yeah. That one, I think I, I can say probably had a pretty significant hand in my getting into the band in the first place. Um, yeah. and I'm not sure really that it was the, the song itself specifically, uh, you know, lyric wise or music wise, but the combination of those with the video, because when I was coming upon the band, it was, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Um, so that video was still remarkably kind of appropriate to the way things looked at the time. And granted, I was still uh, a young kid in middle school and, and that was more, the video of that was based in high school. Um, yeah. but I think yeah. that it, you know, going back to the soundtrack of, of our lives kind of a thing, I think that, and again, granted not living in suburbia, unless we want to consider New Hampshire to be suburbia to boston but it's <laughs> the, not really the state is a suburb yes right. um <laughs> you know it i guess i can't relate in quite that respect that i'm sure you can now uh, yeah but yeah still it, it was very recognizable the kind of the images in that and, and then my third one was natural science um this was from permanent waves um so on uh, subdivisions was was from singles I, signals i don't think i said that but natural science uh from permanent waves this one to me was just neat because it's it's this use of of layering of musical texture to emphasize you know again the lyrics you know kind of describing uh life evolution you know it's 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 starting with very simple you know with simplicity and then building into into complexity and and i even have a note i, I was listening to it this afternoon like if you know Todd, I think I'm going to put this down for you to listen to. It's seven minutes twenty five seconds, okay, of, of okay. the song. I'm going to go deep geek on this one. All right. I one of the things I noticed, and this is what I'm talking about with with my mindset, my perspective, just you know, my sensibility with music. I'm listening to this. You can hear Neil Peart in the cymbals layer in three different rhythms for what he's playing 
on basically on top of what he's playing. It, it's it's really incredible. And and just to listen to that song, what it's about, um, you know, again about about evolution of life and just you know how how it go how it goes through these different phases and gets very mechanical and gets very complex. Um, I, I just I just fell in love with that song, you know, a long time back. It, it was it was just it was very you know, very much in my wheelhouse of, of the sort of um, technical playing that, that they bring to the table. But but especially toward the end of the song with, with the, the way they're doing the drums um, and, and the cymbals and the way, you know, Pierre would, would mix all that stuff up was just was just incredible. Um, so that, that's why that was on my list. It's it's not a it, you know, it's kind of a deep cut in, in, in a way. It's not it's not a well-known or popular song for them. I mean, they, they would play it on tours. Um, but it's not, I guess, considered one of their hits. I, I don't know if you if you view it that way, Mike. But I, I would. Um, I think that when they did pull that one out on a tour, people lost their minds. Um, yeah, <laughs> with, with excitement. I mean, I think it's it's very well loved by by the yes. fans. Um, but yeah, it's certainly one that I think not everyone necessarily would have arrived to first, as opposed to the Tom Sawyer yeah. and the Working Man and uh, exactly, exactly things like that. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and also it sort of speaks to the demographic of the, the the typical Rush fan. You know, a lot of us are are engineers of some kind and or you know into science anyways even if it's a, at a, a hobby level, right? It's right, right. People just sort of flock to them when they're into that kind of stuff and I think that this song the 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 subject matter of it really speaks to that and is probably one of the the gateways for a lot of people because of that. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. My fourth one was called losing it. That was off of uh, the signals album. This was for me just, uh, you know, again, about mood, about how the music really amplified the, the mood of, of the lyrics of the song. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad song, you know, it's, it's, it's about, uh, I, I believe there's two different characters in it who are, both looking back at their primes, um, you know, ha- having lost, you know, skill and lost, I believe, sight was the other one, and reflecting on what has been lost. And just when they layered in the the, the violins to it, uh, I think I tweeted something out a couple of weeks ago to both of you, you know, when I watched it, just, you know, thinking about doing a show like this, where I, I watched the live version they did on R40. And, and I and Mike, you, you were there live. I don't know if they played Losing It or not, but it just had just an amazing sound to it. And, and just, uh, you know, again, it's, it's not, it's not a, a, a hit for them, but it's one that, um, when you listen to it and you listen to what the song's about and you just take all of it in, it's, it, you just can't help but just be like, man, this is, this is deep. It's deep. So. Yeah. Unfortunately I missed the, the shows where they played this and it was interesting on the R40 tour. People were hearing them play it in, in soundcheck like from outside the, the stadiums. And again, they were just losing their minds. Like, Oh my God, they're, they're playing this song. Um, yeah. And for those who aren't aware, so this song was, I, I can no longer say the, one of the only, if not the only, um, because they ended up doing clockwork angels, which had a whole orchestra with it. Um, but at the time was one of the only songs that they had ever had a guest on period. Uh, and that guest was, was Ben Mink from the band FM uh, playing violin, electric violin. And yep. you know, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody at the time that that came out was really expecting that. I honestly think for years of hearing that song before realizing that 
there was a violin in it. I always thought it was a guitar, to be honest. Oh, but, wow. you know, certainly I can hear it now that I know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, when R40 was, was being begun and people were going and waiting outside before the show, they were hearing it in soundcheck and weren't really sure if they were going to end up introducing it. And sure enough, they did. Uh, I believe the first time that they introduced it during a show, they had actually had Ben Mink. I think it was in, in Toronto. Uh, and he's a longtime mm-hmm. friend of the band going back to before they, they had him guest. They actually had him play it. And then several of the shows after that, they had other guys, the most prominent of those being, uh, I'm going to draw a blank on his name, but he's the guy that played the dwarf in the Game of Thrones' brother. Uh, the brother of Tyrion Lannister. Yes. <laughs> and he was the leader of their string section in the Clockwork Angels tour when they had a whole orchestra touring with them as well. Um, so they brought him back to do a couple of shows playing that. And unfortunately, the night I saw them was not one of those nights. But uh, yeah, but yeah, people were going completely nuts when that was going to come back into, yeah. the, into the fold. Just a quick question, because I've heard about uh, uh, other bands who have uh, long-standing uh, careers, and uh, specifically one that is known to certainly uh, Mike and I, but I think Tim by proxy here, uh, Tower of Power, where they'll actually prep a song for when they're going to play it. They won't actually prepare it in rehearsals or anything. They'll they'll do like they'll do it at sound check a couple of nights in a row, and then they'll play it at a show. You think that's what they were doing with that? With that, or was were their set lists kind of fluid, or did they really kind of like hey? Here's like two or three set lists we're going to do over and it was the tour. latter. They they were very well known for at least in all the years that I was seeing them having a, a pretty static list for a set list for their shows, except later uh, later tours they would start to have like you know set list A, set list B, occasionally a C, right? That they would sort of swap out on various nights. Oh. Um, so you know you always kind of knew well. If you read the spoilers, I tended to read the spoilers because I wanted to know what I was going to see. You'd know what they were going to play roughly. Uh, certainly the later tours, it was interesting to see which night you were going to get because you never knew. They didn't necessarily do it in a, in a certain order. But yeah, I think they they did some pretty heavy-duty rehearsing before their tour kicked off. I think they, te- they yeah. tended to rent out a, a place for one to three weeks at least. I'm not sure how long, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rehearse for the tour and get the the lighting and the movies and stuff that they would show behind them, all that stuff squared away uh, leading up to it. And it was a, a very, a very intricate dance, I think between them and their, their technical leads on, on lighting and, and, and everything uh, stage hands and everything as far as what had to be mm-hmm. done for each particular set list version, because they, you know, they had to time all these things, right. And uh, their lighting guy was named Howard Unger leader. He's still doing the job for lots of other uh, bands. I can't remember who he's currently touring with, uh, but he's pretty well known in the industry and always just put on amazing light shows for them between the lasers and um, mm-hmm. you know just washing the crowd in colors and, and things like that. It was seeing a Rush concert was an experience like no other, I can say honestly. Yeah. yeah. And it was Jonathan Dinklage. Yes, thank you. Peter, yeah, Peter being Tyrion. I, I thought you were going deep geek with that reference, and then Mike pulls out the lighting guy's name. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
I feel like a complete schlub with everything that I'm a fan of now. Oh. I, need to get, I need to get serious about this stuff. You don't know what you're getting into, my friend. Let me tell you. Oh, my goodness. We are down the rabbit hole, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, oh, we you are. can go deeper. Back uh, in the day, Getty, oh, no. Getty, Getty had a, a bass tech named Skip Gildersleeve toured with him for many years. <laughs> and one year, I want to say it was... Uh, that can, seriously, that's a made-up name. You just totally pulled that out of your butt. That can't be a. That's not you, really. You can name, Google it? it and prove me wrong, because it's possible that I'm wrong. But I'm pretty certain that that was the guy's name. And when I can't remember if it was. Pre- Holy crap! It comes up, son of a mother. <laughs> Legendary sound man. Oh my. So. I will never doubt you again. I, can't, I will never I doubt you again. I can't remember if it was Presto Tour or one of the later tours that they. They started to do kind of a break in the middle of uh, La Villa Strangiato, where Alex Lifeson would just kind of mumble things and tell funny stories and just be weird. And one of them, he was doing band introductions. I want to say it was Presto. And he kind of went around the band making made-up names. And then he said, and here on my left is Skip Gildersleeve. And it was just kind of hilarious because, again, all of the, the fans who were really in the know knew who he was referring to. And it was just... It was just funny, but I guess you had to be there. This is this oh, is you, the kind of band you're dealing wow. with, man. You got to know. You got to know everyone. No, this is, you got to know everyone. This is, this is what I love. This is the minutia. This is the grit. This is the good stuff. When you share stuff like this, and you you find out like why, just how just how committed people are. That's right. To their fandom, and that's this is the cool thing. You can you can. I joke when I say it's it's going down the rabbit hole and it's geekish. Like I love it. I love this stuff. Yep. So please. Uh, elaborate and, and more so uh, my last song is The Garden uh, this is off of Clockwork Angels and this is a, a newer you know pro- probably one of their newer songs um, you know from from their from their vast list but um, but this one was poetic in, in a lot of ways um, I, I, I like the musicality of it but I like the message of it and it's kind of a nice summary of you know, it's it's very much about life, about about what what you build throughout your life and what matters throughout your life, and uh, you know, especially this year with with the passing of Neil Peart, um, you know, I just I find it to be a song. You, you know, like I said, Mike, with with your last one, After Image, I, I think it, you know, I think it's it's something that resonates, um, you know, with with me at least in terms of of what the band has has done over the years. Um, what they have built up over the years in terms of, of who they are as musicians and the musicality they put forth. Um, and, and it's just it, just the theme of it just really ties together. And, and again, it, it just reflects life. You know, it, it, it just reflects what's important in life. And, and it has a very, you know, just just a very, uh, I won't call it orchestral, but it's but it's very classical in, in a lot of ways and just has a very nice, you know, just nice tone to it. And and uh you know so it's it's a song that resonated with with me from from that album so so that kind of rounds out my top five yeah i think uh that one kind of goes to what i was saying about me it turns out being more into the older stuff and again i i never would have really considered myself that way but i think just by nature of of life i guess i haven't listened to the newer stuff sorry about the printer now in the background um the the, (laughs) the newer stuff we'll take it the newer stuff He's got a printing press going on. He's got to get the papers out. In the, the newer morning. stuff, I think, I just haven't listened to as much. So, like, you know, I certainly know the garden as you know, one off of Clockwork, Angel, Clockwork Angels. I know it's one that 
a lot of people recently with the passing of Neil have been citing a lot, but it wasn't one that I could immediately recall the lyrics to without looking them yeah. up. And, you know, I had to really think about that one. And I, I think that goes for the last few albums, really, for me. Just yeah. not that I didn't get into them. I did, but not to the point where I have the recall that I do with a lot of the older stuff. All right. So uh, top five instrumental songs. So I think we have pretty much the same list. Is, is, is that sound about right, Mike? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you, you named pretty much all the ones I could think of, although, uh, again, in the, the, the vein of not being quite as familiar with the newer stuff, I guess R30 Overture, I'm not 100% sure which what that one is. I, I know hearing it, I would know it because I've heard, obviously, the records, but uh, that one doesn't jump out to me. Um, that one I kind of cheated on. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, and, the, so the R30 Overture is basically... Uh, let me see. It's a complete instrumental um, seg, and it's like segueing from each of these: "Finding My Way," "Anthem," "Bastille Day," "A Passage to Bangkok," "Cygnus X1: The Voyage," and then "Cygnus X1: Hemispheres." Except they're they're shortened. You know, they're doing like just parts of those songs. Right. Yeah. So but I think that uh, that one was kind of their. So you picked a medley. Basically, it was their way of saying that we can't fit all of these songs in our tour, but here you are. Uh, it was pretty much how that one came about, I believe. Basically, yes. Yep, yep. Cool so band service. Absolutely. So, yeah, so uh, given that's the we'll, – we'll work off of one list. Um, I mean, we, we can just walk through all five real quick. But La Villa Strangiato, what do you like about it? Oh, there's so much to like. Um, <laughs> so I love this song just based on the name alone. I've never heard it before, but I love it. Well, so the Strange Village, um, it's uh, it's another one that has a lot of different parts to it, um, and really could be several different songs, but it's not. It's one song, and man, it goes all over the place uh, from mm-hmm. the really quiet acoustic, almost Spanish acoustic beginning to just down and dirty rock and roll um Mm -hmm. i mean there's not much more to say about it really it's uh certainly one of the ones and 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 getty with that incredible like baseline like right in the middle of it where you're just wondering how fast his fingers can really fly yeah i'm pretty sure this is one of the the songs that that people would hold up as a i don't have any idea how he actually can pull this off Um, (laughs) yes yes yeah and, and that goes for most of them really but that one especially i think it's oh just mind-blowing for, for those of us who are, are not failed musicians like I am. Um, it's just, it's unreal. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and Todd, for some backstory on this, and, and Mike, you can help me out with the details, but they tried to record this song in one take. And as I recall the story being told, like they, they had it mapped out, but they, and they literally had to map it out because you would just get lost doing doing the song like you didn't know exactly where you were in the song because it was so it's like a night is it nine minutes i think it's about nine minutes sounds about right and and they ended up having to declare like after i don't know how many days i think they tried like two or three days to record it this way they finally had to declare defeat and break it into three parts <laughs> to record the whole thing because they couldn't do it in one take it was it was it was just kind of funny to listen to. well it even live getty has re- recently been quoted saying that he doesn't really know how they even pulled it off live that it's just that that crazy of a song and goes so many different directions that yes. there's just so much yeah. to it. He, to this day, can't really figure out how they did it. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he was the guy on the stage. A... So that's a. <laughs> He's the guy on the stage playing the rip and bass part, and he can't. <laughs> he can't remember how they quite got there. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that that that's an all time classic for, for for their instrumentals. I mean, it's it's really a showcase of the three of them. Um, you know, just uh, just providing the musicality and the musicianship that that they just are are just known for. It's just an incredible, incredible instrumental song. And that takes us into YYZ. YYZ. So, thoughts on that one? Well, excuse me, YYZ. You are absolutely right. So YYZ uh, off of Moving Pictures, um, which is probably the the most well known album for you know fans who are you know a little less crazy than than many of us. Um, the name of the song is referring to the the airport code in Toronto, which is YYZ, um, and the song is basically built around the Morse code representation of YYZ. Um, so that in and of itself is pretty creative and out there. Uh, and then it turned into just this, this great song, which is uh, another one that people referring to today, you know, it's kind of a, a defining moment for, for a lot of practicing musicians today, as far as hearing this and having their mind blown and trying to replicate it. Um, you know, there's tons of YouTube videos where people of all different levels try to play along with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, various instruments, be it guitar, or bass, and drums. And uh, you know, some do great, some don't, but pretty much all of them get cheered on because they're attempting something pretty amazing. I mean, I I have tried to learn the beginning of that song. I cannot get past the part, you know, like like right in the very beginning. That was well put. You know, you, of, of course. Thank you. I was, that's like, <laughs> what was that? What was that song? Uh, Big Hero Six. <laughs> was it Baymax? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, just in the very beginning, you're you're playing, you know, the the Morse code, like you talked about of, of, of YYZ, and then and then there's there's this walking part that again it goes back to like the the the, the thing we just said about La Villa Strangiata, which is I don't know how. I mean, uh, uh, people of other levels have learned how to play it, but it's played at such a pace that I'm just like, holy moly. <laughs> I, I clearly do not practice enough to get the fingering speed to, to get up to, to, to the level of what Getty plays because that's just – that is insane. And then the the thing that I always liked about this song, mainly because of the two concerts I saw, was how everyone just geeks out about the 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 different parts that, that get played by, by Getty in this. You know, there, there's a couple – parts where it builds up to him just just doing a ripping riff on the bass and and the crowd just goes nuts for it you know i mean it's just it's so fun to watch like people just are like anticipating it and celebrating it once it happens it's just it's so neat to see right and that's the song that i was referring to earlier with les claypool where he he had the the meeting with getty and said you know i'll i'll be on in your book if you teach me how to play it so i mean there's a case <laughs> where there's a pretty accomplished guy who couldn't figure it out you know he said he's been doing it wrong all these years and finally had mm-hmm. Getty sit down and teach him and had his mind blown. You said over dinner, right? Had him over for dinner and then taught him. Uh, over for, I think, dinner and, and a discussion uh, about basses and, and playing bass um, for his book was how that That's got to be an incredible story. Go, going to work on Monday. What would you do over the weekend? Well, I had Getty Lee over. He taught me how to play YYZ. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about that recently. Again, not, not to follow <laughs> tangents either within or too far away from Rush, Les Claypool, two weeks ago, 
posted a, a video on Instagram of himself outside rehearsals with uh, drawn a blank on the name of the band, of course, that he's got now with Trey Anastasio and um, the drummer from The Police. Um, you haven't heard what? about this? Uh, no, and I need tickets immediately. Tim, what's the name of the band? Stuart Copeland and Trey Anastasio and Les Claypool? I'm looking it up. Uh, Oysterhead? Yes. Of so course. Oysterhead is of actually... Of course it is. Is an American rock supergroup, yeah, featuring Les Claypool, guitarist Trey Anastasio of Fish, and drummer Stuart Copeland of the And they, they either are touring now or just finished. I can't remember which. Um, but anyway, he, was, he recorded this video of himself uh, outside their rehearsal st- space using one of the... Uh, flamethrowers that were sold by Elon Musk's uh, company that's digging tunnels underneath LA. Oh, geez. The Boring Company. The Boring Company. The Boring Company flamethrower. Les got one. Oh, so he was... Not to be confused it, with Spaceballs, the flamethrower. <laughs> Kids love this one. So he was out in the, the front yard of their rehearsal space melting snow with the flamethrower just for fun and posted it to Instagram. Oh my gosh. So, but I mean, just the fact that you've, here's, you've got a guy who, I mean, granted he's famous in his own right. And this happens with all famous people. I suppose that you think about who they rub elbows with on a daily basis. Yeah. And here's Les Claypool, Trey Anastasio and Stuart Copeland. And there also was a, a video years ago that Stuart Copeland posted about uh, him and Neil Peart and Matt Sorum, I think from, Guns and uh, Roses. Guns and Roses. Other. Yeah. And a couple other guys got together and, and recorded this this video and song just messing around in, in Stuart Copeland's studio. And I mean, I just can't imagine having a, you know an afternoon like that. Yeah. It's just nuts. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, so that, and again, not to go even further away, but that reminds me of a, a story that Mike might kind of find interesting. When I was in high school, Clark Terry and the UNH Jazz Band came to play at my high school and basically spent the time in between their their sound check and rehearsal to when the concert happened and Clark just sat off stage talking to us high school geeks and he was telling stories and we quickly realized as he's telling these stories to like the four or five people who are like, we don't necessarily know exactly who you are, but you seem really important. <laughs> and, because, right. I mean, Clark Terry was not one of those names that you would know, like a Miles Davis or a Louis Armstrong right. or whoever. But, man, he knew everybody, and he played he was, with everybody. He was the guy standing next to all those guys at the very least. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yes, mm-hmm. and, and, and in some cases, those who those guys would be like, dude, this guy is killer. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. And and so he's telling these stories and he's like, yeah, yeah, me and uh, me and Bird and, 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 and this and that and the other. And you realize after a while, you're like, holy crap, he's talking about Charlie Parker. He's talking about Thelonious Monk. He's ta- I mean, he's just dropping these names because they were just they were just people to him. They were his peers. And you're like, oh, my gosh, he's talking about like titans of jazz music. Like, yeah, this other guy. And then, you know. And almost like, you know, I would talk about, you know, like, yeah, we were sitting in the living room and then Tim cut this huge fart. And it was the same sort of like level. Like, yeah, we were out and we were doing this thing, and and he did this really weird thing, and it was really funny, and we all laughed. And it's so funny, like you you just realize it, people are people. It's just there's this, it's just different circles yeah. and how we perceive yeah. them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. His his book he talks about teaching Miles Davis and and basically how he 
kind of decided that he couldn't handle Miles Davis. He was too kind of too wild for him. Yeah. Well, so not many people him. could handle Miles Davis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Including um, I, I, a couple of his wives, I believe. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, yeah, my Clark, Clark Terry story, because we're going down that tangent, it, sitting in the, the hallway at UNH waiting for a string methods lesson with my cello out and I was playing it on my lap like a bass and he walked by and threw quarters in the case. And <laughs> I mean, dude, that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not one of the guys at UNH that really knew him. Right. I mean, I'm, I was at best a mediocre player and a mediocre music major. And, uh, you know, we know the guys who, who he really connected with and, and was a, yeah, more yeah, of a, a yeah. mentor too. But, I mean, there was a moment when he proved himself just to be a regular guy in spite of that. Yeah. You know, he just wandered by and tossed quarters in my case. That's awesome. It was awesome. Um, that was, and that was, and, and again, uh, Clark Terry, again, and I, I was not one of those people. I wasn't even a music major. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a ton of contact with him outside of anything. But he was, he was just such a genuinely kind person. Yeah. And generous with his time. Like there are times when I think about, again, just sitting there in a in a folding chair, in a in a in the in the backstage wings of an auditorium in Dover, freaking New Hampshire. And this is a guy who's played everywhere with everybody, and he treated us with the same respect that he would treat, like, just. I imagine anybody else. Yeah. And we were these like seventeen, eighteen year old kids who don't know nothing about nothing in life. And he gave us that same level of respect that he would give to regular adults and peers that he knew and passing along stories, hoping, I, I imagine hoping that those stories would inspire us. And even the couple times I had a chance to have, have any kind of peripheral contact with him when I was at UNH, man, it was always just like, this is a dude who just, he loves music mm-hmm. and was just such a genuine ambassador for music and, and, and a love of life, man. I, I just I, so, there's a reason why when I go when I go when I go crate diving for vinyl, I am always on the lookout for anything that has Clark Terry on it. Yep. I'm I'm I will buy that in a heartbeat. It then goes to the front of the line. Yeah, I, I believe it or not, I actually uh, have a have an intersection with him as well. Um, and it was com- what? Yeah. It, well, not personally. It, it was it was in a class at UNH, but but the class is really funny because. It, it was it was my last semester there, and I had to get my art requirement. And I did this class called Music in America, which was about the evolution of, of music across from colonial times to the present day. And the professor there had Clark Terry come in to talk about jazz. And who was that professor? I holy crap! Don't I don't remember, but I'll have to look it up. But I remember that's that's a hell of a that's a hell of a like, oh, by the way, I've got this guy coming in and he has lived through most of the jazz, the jazz history that we're going to yes. be learning about. And there there was one kid in the class because he had a couple of the of, of the students come up on stage to perform with him, which I was. And the reason I remember this so vividly is I was just so blown away, just like you said, Todd. And as you've said, Mike, just how down to earth and, and, you know, genuine this guy is. He had these students come up on stage to play with him. And one of them I remember was from Dover High. And he, his name was Scott something. I can't think of his name, his last name, but I, and I didn't really know him super well. I knew of, I knew of him, but not him real well. And he was playing drums. 
and there was another oh scott kinnison yes yes holy crap i managed to remember something yeah nice. so he played and there was one other kid who i thought was also someone i knew but i, I i'm drawing a blank and and and, and then later that in that evening, there was a performance at UNH where we the class attended uh, around jazz, and we had we had a, like an assignment based on it or something. And, and that was really where I got introduced to jazz, you know, where I, I started developing an interest in it, you know, where I'm just like, oh my gosh, this this style is incredible, you know, it was just because I just didn't have that in in my background growing up at all. And um, but yeah, just like you said, I mean, just very down to earth, very funny very uh you know just just telling stories and just just very much you, you could tell he just lived the music and mm. uh and and uh boy when he got scatting that was pretty funny too so oh. <laughs> mumbles mumbles because his style was 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 mumble that was actually his nickname yes i forget who was who it was who who gave him that nickname yep but oh my gosh his oh his style was oh it just cra- it cracks me up to this day uh-huh yeah. And there's actually a band in, in Portland that has performed Mumbles. And I'm, I listen to it, and I'm like, it's just not the same. No. It's not the same because he just had this, oh, I will link I will link uh, one version. I'll try and find the best version of Mumbles possible mm-hmm. uh, that I can uh, in, in the show notes. But, but, oh my but God. how cool. That is awesome that we all have that, like, that, like, that weird kind of triangle of Clark Terry going that, on. There. Well, that's weird. Well, that's what I was going to say. How, how cool is it that we each have that intersection with him in some way? And, and, and it, and for, and, you know, like you described Mike and what you were saying, Todd, I mean, it, it, he clearly has a presence because that is a memory that has not left me. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I remember that very, very well. And, and it was just such a neat experience seeing him in class with us and then seeing him perform uh, that, he, that evening with those other artists. He was a guy who was always teaching every minute of his life um, mm-hmm. from, yes, you know, from the, the, mo- the time when he was talking to you backstage, Todd, and, and treating you like equals, he was still teaching lessons. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the movie that I forget what the movie was called uh, after oh, keep on, keep, keep on, on, keep on, 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 isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that was, that came out a little bit after his, his book, um, and I think actually came out around the time of his death, if not posthumously, about kind of yeah. the last last year or two of his life, uh, teaching this mm-hmm. this piano player, and and you know he was literally in a hospital bed teaching this kid lessons, not necessarily wow. directly about music, but kind of about life as a whole, and and was really an amazing person. Um, yeah. And then I... to bring it back to Mumbles, uh, that one brings it back to where we sort of started tonight, which comes back to the, the, the story songs kind of a thing. So here's mm-hmm. a song where a guy mumbles, literally mumbles and somehow tells a story with it. Uh, yes. with the, the, oh. you know, they sort of break the music at one part in it and he just sort of goes off on, and it's like a different story every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you oh. can, even though you don't know what he's talking about because they're not real words, he puts emotion behind it that you, you kind of know where he's going anyways. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And and the thing is, I I will confess, I would recommend keep on keeping on to anybody. I have not watched the entire thing. Sounds like that should be your in another thing. I well, the thing is, <laughs> it's it's one of those. I, I, and again, I don't I don't. This podcast is is like idiocy and and funny stuff and trying to make fun. I have a hard time getting through that movie, and I have this irrational emotional connection mm-hmm. 
with 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 this guy because honestly like that moment with the, the, like that half hour 45 minutes whatever it was that i spent or it might have even been an hour like we were there for a while really had an effect on me mm-hmm. and it really had an effect on my, on how i perceive music and how i how i how i perceive uh, as mike said teaching mm-hmm. in in my life and man i, I I started watching it and I'm like, this is great. And then it just started getting heavy. I'm like, I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Which is weird for me. Yeah. It's weird for me that like, I can't separate those two with him, you know? Yep. And it goes back to another, another uh, man, uh, we're just going to completely get off of rush. And I apologize for this, but it goes back to a, to a mutual friend of kind of, well, kind of me and Mike and, and also by peripheral uh, Tim uh, of Bill um, who, was another guy who just had a passion for music and 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 in a way Revels Glenbill. Yes. Yes. Cuz you gave me a ride home so many damn times. Oh my gosh. Um uh so uh but it's that same sort of thing like the people who have a love of music and who live music. I think that's uh I I man they just they have this effect on you. Mm-hmm. And it's indelible. It just doesn't go away if it might fade a little bit like a permanent marker might fade a little bit but it's it's always there you know yep and that's i kind of feel that way about clark terry i feel that way about bill i feel that way about different musicians and obviously i mean the two of you obviously feel this way about rush Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. this is an indelible mark that their music has left on your lives and mike has said it a couple times soundtrack of your life kind of thing like oh yeah I, I remember when I heard this for the first time and it was this point in my life and I relate it to this memory in my life. And that's why this conversation has been awesome for me listening to you guys because it's, it's, it's fun to hear, to kind of be the fly in the wall. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was a journey. Yeah, that was quite the change. <laughs> I know. From, from YYZ to Clark Terry. That was several tangents all tied together. And, and back man, again. I'm surprised we managed to get back. And back the funny again. Thing is, this, this is going to so be then, in Tolkien-esque tone, my friend. Then just a tangent a little bit more to bring us back. Mm-hmm. There was a couple times uh, Mike had mentioned fish. Yeah. Uh, and I remember there was a couple. I, I, the one time I saw fish live, again, it was at the Worcester Centrum, just to tie it back. Worcester. Where I saw, like, the most disgusting thing ever I've ever seen at a concert. I saw a dude walking barefoot in the Worcester Centrum bathrooms. Oh, which, that's not good. A dude, walk, a dude walking, like, barefoot in any kind of public bathroom is nasty in the Worcester centrum bathrooms it was especially nasty i'm like oh you have whatever i mean oh your your feet are going to fall off by the time you leave tonight and uh but there was a couple times as they were playing and they were jamming and they went so far out that i was like they're never finding their way back from here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they would all and i'm like they would it seemed like they got as far out as possible and then all of a sudden Bam, they're back at the melody. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel like we've done with this podcast. Like, we've managed to go way out, and yet here we are back at a love of music and a, and a fandom and what makes us love a certain thing. You want to see a, a band go far out and, and may or maybe or maybe not find their way back, go see King Crimson. There's a lot of math at that show, and I it, honestly, it was too much for me. Do they? Is there times like they don't find their way back? Because that to me is kind of interesting. Like, how do they resolve? I think that? that they they do. If I recall, I think I only saw them once in Boston, uh, and and again, huge Rush fan, obviously prog rock fan. King Crimson was was too difficult uh, as far as the hmm. the math. Like, I just found it to be <laughs> very confusing through a lot of that. I didn't really, I I just really had a hard time following it. 
Uh, and yeah. then what time signature are you in? What year are we in? I, I'm, I'm so yeah, lost. I mean, crazy time signatures. And, and that's one thing that Russia is known well for, too, is wild time signatures. Uh, King Crimson, I think, I think even I think more Jacob's so. ladder, like, wasn't Jacob's ladder done in like 11 8 or something like that? <laughs> it's like some crazy time signature. How, how the hell do you even count that? I like, don't what? know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I don't know what the actual ones are, but oh my brother my had this thick Rush songbook back in the day I and mean, that was probably up to up to moving pictures I, I would guess is what was in that maybe even signals and power windows i'm not sure but you know that one had all the, the the songs written out you know regular notation with time signatures and opening that thing was just a, a journey into craziness <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> well so uh, now i believe we are where I mean, is this where I get my homework? No, no, we're we're we're, we're still trying to get through the instrumental song. So we 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 stopped at Y Y Z. Uh, we have uh, three more to go through, uh, which means we'll go through uh, a couple other jazz what? eras. And uh, <laughs> uh, so third was malignant narcissism. This was uh, I think this was driven from Getty doing some noodling around on a Jacko Pistorius bass and it turning into this like solo it's kind of not a solo but but just kind of a bass driven uh instrumental so just just a very cool very cool instrumental with a very driving you know uh gravelly sounding bass which which i i I really dig uh we talked about r30 overture that that's just really it's kind of cheating it's taking a bunch of lyrical songs and kind of looping them together into a uh into this this overture of of just instrumentally playing through hits over the years um, but just if you can listen to it on YouTube or, or, or on, uh, on Spotify, it's 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 just a great collection of songs to hear instrumentally uh, as opposed to lyrically. Uh, and then finally, Main Monkey Business. Out of all of them, I think that's the one that's the most balanced. Um, it's really it's just a nicely balanced instrumental with all three. There, there's really no one of the three that stands out in it. It's really just kind of, you know, just balanced out. So that one had an interesting video behind it on, on the tour where they had uh a lot of those like wind up monkeys with with cymbals and stuff, kind of playing different things. Ah, yes. Uh, yes. That was always kind of fun to see. And I guess honorable mention, I guess I would throw in a couple of the ones that we did miss uh, mm-hmm. because they kind of tied together. Is where's my thing and leave that thing alone. Um, oh yeah. Obviously, with the common thing, mm-hmm. both great songs. Uh, where's my thing? Actually, on one of the the occasions where I sort of dabbled in trying to learn how to play guitar, uh, I was able to learn the kind of opening riff of that but um nice. yeah so i think nice. that 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 covers the inter- instrumental songs i think there's a couple more that we we could mention like limbo and stuff but i think as far as the ones mm-hmm. that really matter we we hit them yeah and then uh top five albums so so my list again we sort of went in deep on a lot of these as we talked about the songs uh my top five list would be hemispheres crest of steel 2112 presto because it it's uh kind of my real entry uh, and therefore holds a special place and signals, I think for me. Nice. And yeah, and on my side, um, it was moving pictures, which is kind of that, that quintessential album that um, both hardcore and kind of more, you know, not quite as hardcore, I guess uh, fans can, can relate to. I, I think that was the one that kind of gave them the most, you know, pop culture kind of uh, uh, popularity uh, back in the early eighties. Uh, permanent waves, which which is uh, you know a lot of uh, both moving pictures and permanent waves really carries a lot of the the big hits, big classics of of the band. Um, and then there's signals, 
uh, as, as you put, I'm, I mean, that one, you know, one song I didn't, I didn't list here, but I wanted to was digital man. I mean, that just has such a great base baseline to it. Um, driving baseline. Um, but signals, you know, you and I both picked a couple songs, I think from that album, cause it, it just has, you know, just some, some really, really great music and, and great lyrics to, to, to a lot of those songs. Signals is an uh, interesting one because that's kind of the one right before they, uh, the band took their tangent into the the eighties sort of new wave style. Yes. Um, yeah. and I think starts to have a little bit of an intro- introduction to that with the, mm-hmm. the subdivision synth, um, yep. but is yep. not quite as hardcore as the power windows and, and grace under pressure as far as that stuff goes. So yeah, it's an, yeah. an interesting mix. Yeah. It, and it's funny. It, it is kind of that transitory album. It, it really is kind of a mix of those, of those two formats before they finally moved into more of a synth heavy sound. Yeah, and then Hemispheres, uh, as you'd stated, um, both La Villa Strangiata and the song uh, uh, Cygnus, uh, not Hemispheres, or is it Hemispheres? Yeah, the, the Hemispheres song. The side one. Uh, both, yeah, the side one come from that. So uh, I, I think it's really funny. The album has like, what, four songs to it, I think, but two of them are like ridiculously long. So. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it makes it, it makes sense in the end. The math works out. Uh, and then the last one is 2112, which of course has the – uh, the the emblematic song that I talked about, along with uh, you know great songs like "Passage to Bangkok" um, and and a few others that that are just known to be uh, you know just Rush classics. So so those are my five. So uh, so so Todd, dabble, dabble in those ten. All right. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm waiting for my homework. Okay. Because I so here here's what I and I'll give you guys a because there's another section here we're gonna talk about. But but for my homework maybe like. If you guys could dilute it down to one song, oh, you're killing that, me. That's each. hard. You're killing I, me. I, I, I know, I know, and I'm, but, but I'm. So one song each and one album each, and I will listen to, of course, the song, and and but uh, then I will listen to the album beginning to end. If you could pick one album, because again, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of the the age that remembers when hey, you used to listen to an album all the way through, not just pick your favorite crap. Uh, so if you could give me one song where you're like, Hey, you know what? This is kind of rush distilled to tie into the whiskey thing. Uh, but then also, <laughs> of course, cause I got to tie it back, you know, of course, um, but then an album where you're like, if you listen to this album front to back, you will kind of get it. So, and, and I know that's hard, but you know what? You're also asking me to get into a whole new band here. So I feel like there's a little give and take here. So think about that in your next section. All right. But I will, I will definitely take these into consideration, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious about what your specific recommendations would be. All right. But I believe you have another thing here going before we get to that. Yeah. So, so, so Mike, uh, had a great idea of, of, you know, we've been fawning over the band, uh, pretty much for uh, uh, 99.9% of this. Uh, we figured we should talk. Yeah, now you're going to rip them down. Here we go. What's that? Now you're going to rip them down. This is my section. Uh, <laughs> so, no? So, no, nah, oh. not quite. Uh, but, but we'll, okay, we'll, never mind. we'll see. But, but, but Mike entitled this Missed Marks. And, and I think uh, the, the way you were thinking about this was, you know, songs that didn't quite hit the quality standard uh, that, that the band is known for and that we've been kind of talking about. Uh, so I, I don't know if you want to kind of jump in with your two and then I can talk about my three. Sure. So I, I think, uh, all the, all the fans sort of have a few that they would list in here and they may vary from person to person, but I want to say that there's a handful of them that are pretty common 
as well. There's certainly people that will disagree. And I also wouldn't go so far as to say that they're you know, the worst song ever written, but kind of lower on the totem pole as far as Rush goes. Um, mm-hmm. So the first one I threw out was Dog Ears, which, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall, is on Test for Echo. Is that right? Yes, um, I think so. Yep. And it's uh, a song about being a dog and and kind of how long dogs live and or you know the seven years to a year kind of thing. Um, it's just kind of a silly song, I think. And yeah. I think that's what they meant for it to be. But and I and I like it, but it's definitely not not quite the quality that we're used to. And then Tai Shan was on Hold Your Fire. Oops, sorry about the phone. Uh, hang on, Tim, go. I'll be back. All right. Uh, I will jump over to mine, um, and and I, I can concur with Tai Shan because when Mike brought it up, I was trying to remember what album Tai Shan was from. Um, so that tells you how how resonant that that song was for me. Um, I believe I'm trying to thumb through here. I believe this was from Hold Yeah Hold Your Fire, uh, and I have a note here. It was inspired by Mount Tai, so that tells you a great deal about where that song came from. My three. We're sealing unlimited from the Vapor Trails album. Um, when I, whenever I listen to that album, there's a, a couple songs that I, I really enjoy that are just very driving. Whenever I hear that song, it just it it, it quite literally annoys me. I, I don't know why, but it's one of the very very few Rush songs I really struggle getting through. Um, don't really care for it. Uh, don't really think it lives up to a lot of what what they typically do. So I, I put that one in there. And then the other two I put were, were Madrigal and Rivendell from their older albums. Um, I think Rivendell is from A Farewell to Kings, I think. Uh, no, Madrigal is from A Farewell to Kings. Rivendell's Fly by Rivendell Night, is Fly by Night. Those two, I, I mean, I, I listen to them. They, they just, I, and I don't know, maybe I, I don't know if I'm, I'm speaking to, to the right kind of subject matter we were shooting for, but from a quality perspective, they just didn't resonate the same with me as some of the other, you know, songs on, on those albums did. And I typically skip over those a lot when I'm listening to the album just because I just can't get into them. But I, I don't know, Mike, how you kind of feel about them because you're more you, you've said you're kind of a fan of the older stuff so maybe so um i i like both of those songs i i was a D kid in in elementary school middle school um mm. and those very much are or at least rivendell specifically very much uh tolkien fantasy inspired song um yeah. rivendell i mean to the letter it's very it, it's about rivendell from the books um yeah madrigal right. also yeah. is kind of a fantasy theme but I think what's worthy of calling out on those is they're definitely a different style than they were playing yeah. with most of the other songs back then, going from mm-hmm. you know kind of hard rock to slow and, and melodic songs. Yeah. So very different on those albums from what was around them, I think. And yeah, Rivendell, I think, is one that, you know, like Dog Ears, a lot of people call out as being a little silly. Yeah. But I think it yeah. just goes to speak to where you know, what Neil Peart was reading back in those days and, you know, where he was in yeah. his life. So, Mike, I jumped into mine. I didn't really talk much about Tai Shan, so I didn't know if you wanted to jump in on that one. Yeah, Tai Shan, again, is just kind of silly. It's uh, it was inspired by Neil's climbing of, uh, of I think, a mountain called Tai Shan, if I believe, if I'm if I'm correct, rather. Um, yeah, it says something like Mount Tai or something. Yeah, like and, uh, you know, up the 7,000 stairs. I think it's one of those places that is supposed to be sort of a, a spiritual experience to be there. And I think he tried to 
put that feeling forth in the song. And I, I, I don't want to say he was unsuccessful. I think that people who had been there probably would really resonate with them. But for me, it was just kind of a funny song and, and kind of, yeah. again, kind of out of place uh, among yep. its yep. its peers on the record. But I mean, musically, it's a great song. Just it's kind of different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, what's funny is like, I, I don't, you know, they're, they're, they're so diverse in the way that they sound um, that it's, it's hard to say for, for, I mean, for any of these that it's not like top quality, it's just more, is it, you know, kind of resonating or connecting as the other songs on that album were. I, I think and, the uh, thing that really makes that song stand out is that it's got this, uh, I believe synth powered flute as opposed to it even being a real flute. I, th- I think it was synthesizer and, just it really stuck out as something very different for them um, yeah, yeah not only at the time but of all time couldn't they have found a flautist i mean there's plenty of flautists out there who need work. you would you would think so but i don't know maybe neil just wanted to play around with the synth flute thing Ooh, was i think it, it was probably was getty that that played it well probably getty yeah that's true. probably was neil, neil's idea Man. but yeah people always just want to play the flute yep Great lyricist. Maybe you shouldn't dabble in the flute area. Perhaps not. <laughs> not a natural flautist? Is that what you're trying to say? I guess. I guess. But anyways. I just like saying flautist. Yeah, I know. You're, you're throwing that term around quite a bit, so that coupled with you with your whiskey drinking makes it sound like you're a very uh, you know cultured what? young man. <laughs> That's it. I'm just going to be quiet over here in the corner. You know, I'll just I, wait till you finish. I up. can hear you, you know, clinking your ice cubes in your glass. Father, I, no, there's I'm no looking more ice for the flautist. <laughs> because you gentlemen have talked for over two hours about this band from Canada, so there's no ice cubes left. Uh, We're going neat at this point. I think the point here is though that that even even though <laughs> I, I'm going to move on, even though that uh, I'm going to ignore this heathen yes, right now. Yes. No, even though they they've had their missteps, they they are few and far between. Indeed, every band every band does. Yeah. I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, as I mean, and you can go back to any band that's had any kind of career over a long span of time. Like again, I mentioned Tower Power. There's songs that I I, I love by them that will forever listen to. Yeah, there's other songs I'm like, mm, meh. Not not their not their greatest work. Yeah. Not their greatest album. You know, this albums I listen to, I'm like, that song's great. The rest of the album, ooh, no, no, thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm good. I'll just grab that one song and I'm good. Right. Uh you know, so that's and that's just the way it goes because ultimately you want bands that have been around that long to try different stuff, to to go out on that limb. Oh, yeah. And and that's the great th- I would think that's the great benefit of having been around and survived all of that time is like you know what we're going to go we're going to take a chance mm-hmm. on this one mm-hmm. and you know what if it sucks hopefully the 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 fans will be there to hold us up as we as the limb starts cracking a little bit you know yeah. and and I, and and with with fans like you guys i i can see how that would that would work mm-hmm. because there were even though you're like, eh, that wasn't the greatest, but still, hey, great. I mean, good on you for trying, right? You know, I mean, and that's awesome. That's that's the best of fandom, I think. Yeah, well, and and you know, and I think I've talked about this in, in prior episodes, but one of the things that I've that I very much appreciate the, about the band is is their willingness to explore different 
you know, genres to, to try different things, to go and push themselves. Um, you know, again, all those things speak to me as, as someone who, who, who plays themselves a bit and, and wanting to challenge myself. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, while, while we may laugh about these songs, I think the, the underlying idea of, of always trying to challenge yourself and evolve and be different is, is, is always uh, a noble uh, goal to have and always a, a noble endeavor to go out and, and try. For yeah. sure. All right, so where's my homework? Where, where's my homework here, gentlemen? All right, so we have a section here called Starters List. So how are we going to get Todd started out on his journey in the same way that we started out on ours, what he asks, as, as, what he asks, is impossible to 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 break it down <laughs> Mike, to one I, song I'm, and one I'm, album. I'm right there with you, brother. But for Russian ninjas such as you, this should not be an impossible. Uh, I am right there with you, brother. Dude, I started out with top threes, and I was killing myself trying to figure out how that was going to work. <laughs> but you guys are just so good at this. I, oh, I didn't think Lord. this would be that much of a problem. Jesus. So, I, I guess. And this is completely off the cuff because you're putting in an unreal limitation on this. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll pull from my one of my top fives. Uh, I'll say Countdown, I guess, uh, as far as what, you know, it being just a song that really struck me. Um, and, okay. you know, you lived through the, the shuttle space shuttle era just like I did. Uh, I don't I don't yes, know if you're into it as much as I was. Perhaps not. It was one of the, it was, that was one of the things that when you were talking about that, I was like, that was one of the coolest things, you know, as you grow up as a child of the 80s, that, that we have this thing that goes up into space and it comes back. Right. And I think that that, that, you that know? one came out in 92, I think, I mean, sorry, not 92, 82, uh, I think it was about mm-hmm. the, the right time period that that song was released, um, which again was before I really got into the band, um, and I would have been only six or so at that time, seven uh, at that time. So probably even before I was really into the space shuttle thing. But I think given that we lived through the bulk of the years where the space shuttle was flying and, you know, the United States were really in that, you know, in that part of our history where we were going to space a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's one that would resonate um, as far as an album. You know, part of me, I'm I'm gonna gonna shoehorn in too because part of me wants to say Presto being my entry, like I said, really has a a, a soft spot uh, for me, or I have a spot soft spot for it. But that being said, maybe it's harder to relate to nowadays. I don't know, um, but Hemispheres being my top one, I think is uh, it's just an amazing album, and and I also have confidence that uh, Tim is gonna pick the other one I would have picked. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel I feel safe in that. All right, cool. And, and Tim, what you got for me? Uh, so I well, I, I I need to write down what what Mike did. So so you said album was Hemispheres, right? Hemispheres and honorable mention to Presto. Oh, so he's like you. And, he's and, cheating. I and, like it. And since I can see what you're writing, I know you're not going to choose the one that I was thinking you were going to choose. So I also have uh, to oh. put in. Ooh. I also have to put an honorable mention there for twenty one twelve as the. I was gonna say, like that is like their. That's like the album. There isn't that like the, the Alice in One. Uh, no, Alice in Wonderland. Wizard of Oz. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think Moving Pictures is certainly the one that people can relate to the most as far as uh, being the the entry gate. So I think that Tim's choice, which he hasn't said yet, 
uh, there is right. Um, <laughs> oh, he, he, he keeps it close to the yeah. best, sir. you got to watch not, out. Not to leak it too soon. Um, but I think that 2112 is certainly worth, uh, worth your time. And, and I would encourage you as you're listening to these to, to really be able to focus on them, sit and not, not be doing an awful lot else, but trying to really understand and, and listen and, and get it. Um, because they're amazing if you just listen to them for the music. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Um, I, so, so my strategy here is a little, uh, one, two punch. So I, I went with natural science, which was from my, uh, top five lyrical songs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what, what's very key is what you just said, Mike is especially with natural science is to just sit and listen to it and really focus on it. Because like I said, it's, it's not a pop hit, you know what I mean? It's not a, a poppy kind of song. A lot of their songs are not that way. It's, it's. It's very much telling a story, and I, I think if you listen to it from that perspective, it starts to, you know, the elements that at least I like uh, and, and, and Mike like in it would, will start to come out, you know, um, as, as you listen to it. And that's off of Permanent Waves, so I'm kind of hoping that kind of drags you into Permanent Waves a little bit. And then I did Moving Pictures exactly for what for the reasons you just said, Mike, which is it's, it's kind of if there's ever an album to kind of ease you into what they do, that that's that's the first one i would i would kind of go with because it is probably one of the more accessible ones um bite-sized chunks and then if, well i mean geez what's up you you pick tom sawyer xyz xyz and limelight on side that would, that would be yyz I mean, sir i i you, just you said, said yyz didn't i i did oh my god the letters do go in that order so i'm glad to hear you you still keep that you know <laughs> well you know <laughs> Oh man, I haven't been. I've I've been just listening to all this. So I'm I'm when I engage, I'm like, oh wait, I have to talk now. Oh, I have to make words. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. So I mean, moving pictures has uh, everything is in bite sized chunks as opposed to like the hemispheres in the yeah. twenty one twelve where, you know, you're committing to at least uh, you know, twenty three to thirty minute experience with one side. When we're yeah. talking about sides with the vinyl and tape, but nowadays it's CD, so it's yeah. all one. But or mp3 in which case there's no sides but moving pictures you know they're four to six minute songs definitely more uh more manageable uh to it and and and, and they still have the, the the musicianship and musicality in them even though they're not as long as what they used to absolutely do, you know in, in prior albums so 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 that that's the accessibility part but i think that trilogy of permanent waves moving pictures and then i i did a couple honorable mentions uh around signals um, I think those three are good starters. Um, I do agree with twenty one twelve though that 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 stands on its own. That's that's a fantastic one to to really kind of sit and focus on and, and really take in. And after so, you, after you listen to that as a reader, pick up Anthem by Anne Rand because it's a it's a quick read. Uh, I don't feel like her wonky ideals are too ever present in that as far as you know pushing them, um, but you can kind of hear where the story sort of came from and was inspired from. It's, it's a good read. It's a hmm. interesting, interesting book. Right on. So you, you guys have managed to give me like three times the amount of homework that I asked for. So thank you. Hey, we, we wouldn't be good uh, teachers if we didn't give you a little extra. To and push we did tell you it was impossible. Uh, wow. So again, once again, and reinforcing the handicap match. <laughs> aspects of this if the, if the right one don't get you the left one will 
Jeez. <laughs> you know what? I've had enough of this. I think we're uh, we're ready to move on to and another thing. Uh-huh. And another thing. So, uh, you know, Tim, since you just blatantly stole mine, uh, I'm not going to let you go first. I'm going to have our guest go first. So, Mike, why don't you tell us what your and another thing is? All right. So my and another thing, I being a big Rush fan, because I'm, I'm starting with, with sort of staying in the vein. And I've also sort of got two and another things. But um, the first one is this band called Why Why Not? And you can hear the, the comparison to YYZ. This is a band which actually started, was born on a, a Rush fan page on, on Facebook called Cygnus X1. Uh, and it's actually an interesting group. It's sort of a combination of Rush fans and Star Trek fans. So things will be posted for both, but definitely hmm. heavier on the Rush side, I think. Nice. And I would encourage you, Tim, certainly to check that group out. Uh, Todd, probably yeah, definitely. once you've done your homework and you're you're into it, I think you'll you'll be interested as well. It's a lot of interesting discussion there, as well as once I'm fully indoctrinated. Well, once you've done your homework and passed the test, I mean, there's there's you know some hoops to jump through here, my friend. Seriously, I have to I have to I have to like work to get my cult like snuggy and like special nikes i think so really that's what we're heading to i think so. okay so so this band right. why why not uh as i said they were born on this group I, I believe it was that group there's there's a few different groups but i think that's the primary one and i know they all were present on that group as it started so they they started this band doing rush covers uh so they were a de facto rush tribute band at the beginning but interestingly they did it in a manner where Two of the, the members were based in Southern California. The bass player, who is an absolute beast on the bass, his name is Tim, also Tim, uh, Tim Starris, uh, is in Florida. And then they've sort of had a, a an unfortunate revolving door behind the kit in the spinal, spinal tap fashion. And they've every one of the drummers that they've had has been amazing. I'm not sure exactly what's gone on as far as why they've gone through so many, but they've all brought really interesting things to the table. So I guess what's what's important to note is that where they were all located in different parts of the com- country, they would record their parts sort of individually. And then the guitar player, who was kind of the mastermind of the whole thing in Southern California, would stitch them all together in amazing quality. And it all worked perfectly into releasable tracks and, and also releasable videos on YouTube. And they are about the most pure and perfect rush tribute band that i've ever heard i think that they they, ha- wow. they have the sound hmm. uh, down perfectly like the the guitar sound is, is exactly right the bass sound is, is exactly right uh they've got a girl singer who can hit getty's notes perfectly and does it really well nice and it's just amazing so they then after they sort of established themselves in this way started making original songs you know initially inspired by rush and you could definitely hear it in the songs, mm. you know, they definitely could be, you'd hear the song probably before Rocky started singing and hear the, the sound and be like, Oh my God, this is a rush song. And then, you know, she's just different enough that you can tell it's not them. It's not Getty, but really great, uh, you know, musicianship. They're definitely another, uh, group of all just amazing players and, and really great stuff. Uh, and they're, nice. they're now focusing mm. more on their originals, uh, still playing some Rush stuff live and, and occasionally recorded on, on YouTube and stuff, but they're definitely taking the, the candle forward as Rush has has hung it up. 
with Neil's passing and everything. So yeah. definitely something yeah. to watch. And then my, cool. my other and another thing, I recently discovered on Animal Planet, the show Whale Wars, uh, about the battles against the Japanese whaling fleets uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and the organization behind it, which is called Sea Shepherd, and have uh, gone so far, sort of inspired by that, is reaching out to them and trying to become an onshore volunteer. So I, I've, I've signed up, have not been indoctrinated yet, uh, but... I, I would encourage people to to check out the show. I think it's an interesting interesting series, and and I think that I'm I'm really behind their their ideals, and I'm mm -hmm. proud to be able to say that someday in the near future I can claim to be a pirate. So I think nice. it's exciting. I, you know what? I always saw you as a pirate. Sir. You just you just you just waiting <laughs> to is. achieve your final form. There it is. That's all. There it is. For for being a pirate, I always miss speak like a pirate day. Just always is uh, not. <laughs> not the thing on, Which, my, in a on way, the top of my head that day in September. So is kind of like the most pirate thing to do because you just don't follow right. the rules. They're mostly guidelines after yes. all. Indeed. And, and so now actually I'm gonna go i I'm gonna go next because again, Tim stole mine, so you know, to heck with him. It's all good. Uh so my uh my and another thing is uh is kind of a twofer. Uh it's a it's a band and their a specific album that they released this year. Uh, there's a band called Electro Deluxe, and uh, the way they are described is thusly from their uh, website. Electro Deluxe, a wolf in sheep's clothing, having kept their name even as their music has evolved into a dirty melange of organic groove, heavy jazz, funk, and pure jubilation while dressed to kill. With the talent to cross over into other genres, they have enjoyed critical and commercial success in their home country of France, with each of their last four albums going to number one in the jazz charts and reaching the top ten in pop charts while performing entirely in English. The, their new album is called Apollo. You can find it on iTunes. I'm sure you can find it other places as well. Uh, this is a band that their, uh, their song Let's Go to Work was a, an opener for my band back in the day many times uh, most of our big shows we opened with uh, with their tune let's go to work and it was it was a to say it's a crowd pleaser is is kind of underestimating it or understating it I should say uh, it was it was amazing and they are a fantastic band uh, a fantastic group of musicians and uh, their their album Apollo is well worth your listen especially the uh, the uh, first track "Do Your Thing," which is oh, it's one of those songs that just makes me mad because it's so good, and I wish I'd written it, but I didn't. So go listen to them. And now, sir, why don't you go with yours? Uh, I mean, you 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 guys went deep. The, this this probably is not going to be at that level. Uh, it's certainly not musical in nature, but but it is uh, a bit of entertainment uh, that that we all get it on and, and, and check out and we'll most likely be doing in a podcast episode about shortly. But Westworld, ladies and gentlemen, has come back. Uh, and if you're ready for your mind to be bent even further than it already was after season two, uh, I think this one is going to gonna once again take us for a ride. And Have you watched the first episode yet? I have not, but I've been reading uh, over the course of the week what's, you know, a number of, of articles about it and where it's kind of where it might be going i've been kind of getting uh caught back up on some of the big events from uh season two just on youtube uh man just ju ju just go back and watch that one clip about fidelity with with delios and uh oh was yeah. just 
th- that is an amazing piece of acting. I, I'm sorry. It's it's just incredible to watch. Uh, and, and I had forgotten about that. It had been quite a while since I've watched yeah. season two. But Westworld's back. Well, the funny thing is, so I, I watched the, uh, the latest Kevin Smith Batman Beyond, mm-hmm. and Mark Bernardin, very dismissive of, of uh, Westworld season two. Basically really? uh, saying, hopefully, uh, season three allows people to basically just kind of go from season one to season three. It's which I actually I actually enjoyed season two. Well, and and, and that's the thing. It's like it, it, and you know, we kind of talked about this with with Rush a little bit. Is it it it's what what are you showing up to to participate in? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't mind the. F- I, I mean, admittedly, season two is a mind trip. You 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 oh yeah. You are dealing with an unreliable narrator. Uh, through most of the season where you don't know what time you're in and yeah. and it really messes with with your ability to to understand and process what is playing out in front of you but when they get mm-hmm. it to the when they work their way up to the final episode in my mind at least I think they pay it off and and I think it's I it's done in a very uh, very uh, you know well well done story um, very tight very focused and and it, and it brings it all together. And to me, going through that journey of confusion is okay because ultimately, that confusion is really what was meant to be brought out based on the Bernard character, and and what what that character was going through throughout that season and what he was trying to do by virtue of that confusion. So so I thought it was a really interesting storytelling mechanism they used. Um, and yeah, I, I I can see how if you're just showing up to watch something and consume it and be done with it, yeah, it's probably not your bag. But uh, yeah, but but th- but this one, I, I, I like it when they go deep like this. I like it when they take you for a ride and it's and you don't know what's going to happen. And, and to me, that's when it's fun. I haven't seen the episode either myself. And I, but I'm looking it is it will happen this week. Nice. Uh, because it I, I have been waiting for this. And then it kind of dropped on me out of nowhere where I'm like, wait a minute, it's happening now. Yeah. I, I'm unprepared. Yep. I don't know if I can deal with it. I this, think but, we need uh, to be doing some deep gig on this, my friend. I, I think we shall. I think we I shall. Think I haven't actually seen any of season two. But I've, I watched season one and it was great. Uh, somehow sort of fell out of it and didn't get back to it for season two. But recently saw the ads for season three and was floored to see uh, Jesse from um, <laughs> Jesse Breaking, from Breaking Bad, Bad. And showing up in the, the ads for that. And I was like, oh, it's Jesse. And I want to go watch it now. But. Now the funny thing is, I saw season two, but I haven't seen Breaking oh, Bad. Oh, Todd, you've got to watch Breaking Bad. There's another another thing. We I know, we, we I talked. Tim about has already this. established that. We talked about this after the last episode. We we went into great detail about why this man. Yeah. So so your homework is Rush, Rush, and more Rush, and then Breaking Bad. Oh, so here's here's like fifty years worth of music, and then like you know eight seasons worth of TVs. Yeah, you go catch up with that. Yeah. You know what? Well, I mean, you're, you're social distancing, anyways, right? So you're home with nothing to do. <laughs> oh my! I've got a family. Right <laughs> now, loud. I don't want to be that distanced. Oh my! I mean, gosh. I don't need to be distanced from the people in my home. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> I don't want to get like smothered in my sleep. Actually, that's probably Tim's plan. Like, I'm gonna smother in my sleep this week, and then, hey, well, uh, Todd's dead. Here's Mike, my new co-host. <laughs> How do we go from a joke about agents to that? Jeez. <laughs> 
I'm just uncovering all the plans now. Oh, That's dear. What it is. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, uh, you know, we, we should really kind of tie this up into a bow because it's getting wicked late. And uh, wicked. we are running wicked along. Wicked. 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 You know. I'm, I'm sh- yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, kid. Let me tell you. That smart pack. Uh, smart pack. Oh, my gosh. Uh, let me tell you. One, I might have mentioned this before, but having your dog i was we were in vacate we were vacationing in boston in february which is like good lord you only do that if you're in maine because that's further south you're like hey we're going south for the winter <laughs> about an hour and a half uh but we were walking around boston and and my daughter had just seen the smart the smart pack commercial and so she's saying it all the time and i was like this is it this is this is this is the apex of my dna <laughs> just <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? I love it. This is awesome. That's cool. Like, I am so glad. And my my wife is looking at me like, you have done this to us. <laughs> um, but it was awesome. Anyways, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, thank you, Mike, for for bearing with us for uh, almost three hours now. Uh, I know yes. it's probably it not. It's not been a a hard a hard arduous journey for you, uh, but we appreciate it. And uh, this is glad to be here. You know, you you have added so much, and I will I will actually do my homework, and we will follow up on this. We'll do another episode where I I try and impart what I've learned, or you guys can just like apparently just like rap on my rule uh, on my knuckles with a ruler repeatedly in a digital sense <laughs> for what I have not learned, and we'll see how even that if goes. it's even if it's not another episode, but just another late night Facebook messaging session where I throw video videos at you. There you go. It's all good. That, it's always fun. That could work as well. But then again, that wouldn't be as entertaining for all of our thousands and thousands of listeners. Yes. Oh, wait. It's probably like 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might be fewer after the rush. <laughs> you know what? If you could actually get your wife to listen to this, you will be the first person who has had a, who's been on this show where their wife has listened to this. Cause Tim and I's no way in hell do they listen to this, uh, which I can't blame. I, I, I would say it's unlikely. Because yeah. because of the topic and and just the time. But, she isn't a Rush yeah. fan. She's not. Oh, and and just out of curiosity, what is what would you say is her uh, favorite band or favorite artist or favorite genre? Ani DeFranco. Ah, you know what? Next episode, we're gonna have her on as a guest, <laughs> and then me and her can just geek out about that, and Tim can sit there and go. What the hell am I I'm going to show up with a glass with some ice and just swirl it around. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. All right. Well, so we're going to wrap this up. And, uh, Tim, why don't you, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you a whole big intro on this because you do this every damn time and you do it so well. Take us home, sir. Yes. Well, again, thank you, Mike, for, for joining. It, it was it was a lot of fun to, to chat with a fellow Rush fan and to – uh, you know, kind of, kind of talk about what our favorites are, where, how we learned, how we learned about it, how we discovered them, how we came to enjoy them and, and what, what aspects of their music that, that, that we really enjoy. So thank you. But, Welcome. uh, you. but yeah, overall, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think as fans of this band, uh, in, and, and people, uh, in general with, with the music they like, you know, we, 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 we like what we like, um, for a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, th- this band to us has just been um, just just a, a, a bellwether of, of fantastic musicianship and musicality um, of, of deep lyrics of layered songs and textures and 
uh, if you ever have a chance to give them a listen, uh, definitely uh, start with the homework we gave Todd because it's 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 uh, it's definitely a, a, a gateway into a wider world of of just uh, virtuosity uh, across guitar, bass, and drums. Um, so so please give it a listen. Um, but of course, uh, you know, given the times, be safe, be healthy, and above all else, uh, please hit the lights on the way out. And wash your damn hands. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I can take the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon. What did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. I don't come back until you breathe. So say we all. So say we all. I mean, that really got out of hand fast.